Another week into the month of May. That means one step closer to the final Sunday in May, and we will talk with the defending champion coming up of the Indianapolis 500 on today's show. That'll be Marcus Erickson joining us at 8 o'clock and Doug Bowles every Monday here during this month. He's going to join us at 8.30. Good Monday morning to you. Uh, This week looks really, really nice from a temperature standpoint so looking forward to getting outside mark i saw you're wearing a like a winter coat and i got a little rattled i was like oh no 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 it's just a little little windbreaker okay. i don't know if you're cutting weight you had a big wrestling match I this wish. afternoon or something along those lines speaking of wrestling um no limps jake you look good well thanks you uh, feel good i'm my quads are a little sore but i i will say and i can say this now i i didn't want to say anything ahead of time because i wanted to I respect his privacy, I guess. But Mottman was like, no, my patients know now. Uh, Dr. Mottman was in a car accident about six weeks ago or so. And as a result, his left arm was in a brace. He had like a plate put in his arm. He looks like Barry Bonds, basically. Um, and so that he, I, he, he was like, I, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to do it. I mean, understand, but can you imagine running with an arm brace on? Uh, so, but we went ahead and did it. And obviously, I'm not in the greatest of shape now. But um, so we took our time with it. Doing that, we're talking about the mini marathon on Saturday. Congratulations to everybody that participated. Thank you to those that volunteered out there. It did feel like the numbers were a little down from years past. Like, um, you know, our pace was about the same as a year ago, and pretty quickly we were towards like the back half of the group. And I'm like, wait a minute, usually there's like a lot more people behind us. And I thought maybe we're that bad. I looked it up and we really weren't. Um, but it was great. We, so we, I mean, we run and walk, mix it up, Kevin. Like we'll run, I'll say, like, okay, let's run to, you know, whatever, Blackford Street. And then, okay, now let's walk to, you know, whatever, Holt, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. We just mix it all up. Um, stopped several times to chat with people at ims and stuff like that but you know we were running at the end um it was fun it was a great day i wasn't too sore until yesterday then my thighs were a little bit sore but yeah i think i'm at the age now where running it and pushing for like personal best and then being like not able to walk for three days that's in the um, rear view mirror. especially when you've got a big graduation coming up on wednesday that's right uh wednesday i've got to walk 10 feet right we can't have you limping across any stage <laughs> Any well, stage. Jake graduates Be- coming up. Believe you me, it, I limped across that stage, Kevin. <laughs> on, on Wednesday. He'll give us a call as he drives up uh, 31. We'll be Mark and I on Wednesday here. Again, Marcus Erickson, 8 o'clock. Doug Bowles, 830. Uh, around the mini, I think obviously this weekend you typically get some derby action. You guys take in any derby? Or? Loved it. Watched it. Um, you know, and, and this happens from time to time. In all of the discussion about the Derby, I mean, obviously Forte being scratched was a huge deal, right? All the discussion about the Derby leading up to it, had you heard from Mage at all? It was funny. I was out at Colts Rookie Minicamp on Saturday, Rick Venturi, huge horse guy. Him and I were chatting about it on the way out, and he did briefly mention Mage as someone that, like, we probably aren't talking about, and again, this is a little bit getting into the you know weeds of horse racing. Mage I saw was the just the second Derby winner since the 1880s to have not raced as a two-year-old. 
So Mage was not really necessarily, obviously three-year-olds in, in the Derby. Very uncommon for a Derby winner to have not raced as a two-year-old. Um, and then he, he got second at the Kentucky Derby, or at the uh, Florida Derby, which I, I do think for what it's worth is kind of a one of the more meaningful pre-Derby races. But yeah, I mean, 15 to 1 odds, so not a clear favorite by any means, but also not rich strike. So I had not really heard much of Mage until... Rick Venturi said that in the Bowen family, we had uh, we did ten bucks on Angel of Empire, we did ten bucks on two fills, so we were um, we were very upset. And I'm sorry, what again were Mage's odds going into it? Fifteen to one. Okay, so nothing uh, crazy. It did kind of feel like there were like two fifty to ones, and then like two eight to ones, and everybody else was fifteen or seventeen to one, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, to your point about Forte scratching, that obviously you know changed the odds big time, but. Um, yeah, it seems like a cool story. Venezuelan trainer, uh, the jockey had never won a derby, 16 attempts at a derby. I don't think uh, better than third, if I'm not mistaken. So from that a- angle, uh, pretty good. I don't, I don't. Did you guys hear, is Mage doing the Preakness? I would assume so. I've not heard, but I would assume, right? I mean, last year, I don't think Rich Strike did the Preakness, if I'm not mistaken. I think, you're, I think you said something dead on on Friday, though, where you were like, look, it should be a, like a rule, right? Right. It says uh, no decision has yet been made. The trainer, uh, Gustavo Delgado, said post-race to give him, quote, a couple days to make a decision. I always liked Carlos Delgado. What decision? I mean, do they have to talk to the horse? Like, what are they? I mean. How you feeling, champ? Feeling good? You know? Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah. with all the scratches you had in the Kentucky Derby, it does seem like a huge storyline in horse racing right now is no, I know where you're at from a health standpoint. But yeah, I, I thought it was a good derby. I mean, it's a great event. There's no doubt about it. I look like a really nice day. I think it'd be. Here's the thing. I'm going to be in the total minority here. I don't know. I would love to go to a Kentucky Derby, okay? Because of the pageantry, the event, all of it, the history. I would love to do all of that. However, the dressing up, I, I don't like dressing up. The, like, trying to outdo one another in terms of your threads, meh. And the, like, see to be seen. It just me that aspect of it almost turns me off to it. Like, I'm glad that people had a great time at Rev. I'm glad that people have a great time at Zubilation. I'm glad that, have, that people have a great time at the Pacers Masquerade. I, you... I have zero interest in any of that. I don't know why. I just don't. It, it, it all means like nothing to me. Is that Does that make me weird? It, and this is just strictly from the dressing up aspect? No, just like the whole. Glitz and the glamour? Yeah, like like rubbing elbows with, with the stars. I just, okay. I, it just doesn't. I don't know. I mean, I like people, but I, I don't need to like. Be taking a thousand pictures, not that anybody wants. Gosh, to Gosh, it's Jake Query. Yeah, that, that get I'm a saying, picture. I'm saying the other way around. Please, like the people please, that are like folks, the enough. people that are like, hey, I've got to get a picture with that person. That I just I don't necessarily need to do that. That's why you had security running with you mm-hmm. during the minute. Yeah, right. velvet rope between him. And you get what I'm saying, though. The common folk. <laughs> I just that that stuff to me, like I, I don't know, like I don't. Well, I bump into enough people. At the Indy 500, just because it's close quarters, and you just naturally just like bump shoulders with people. Right. I'm thinking, boy, those hats—you gotta be running into everybody with those things. Undoubtedly, those are so gaudy. I, I, I've thought about that too. Yeah, 
I don't know that I'd want to like if I'm going to go to something like that and you're wearing like a it's got to be like hot and sweaty and you're wearing a jacket. I know it's seersucker, but still. But I mean, it's a fabulous, fantastic sporting event, no doubt about it. No uh, doubt about it. F1 yesterday. That was another of my viewing experience. I I I just still don't get as soon as the I, I guess it's not a green flag, it's more of a green light. I just don't understand how any of that racing is enjoyable. Kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, right? Well, yeah, and obviously the pre-race, the glitz and the glamour of F1 is, um, you know, through the roof. But I just think the product is so bad. Like the actual race, I could not believe, and again, this is more from a gambling aspect, I could not believe opening up the odds before the race that the two Red Bull drivers were like just insane favorites versus the rest of the field. And sure enough, Max Verstappen just slowly but surely makes his way through the field, and Sergio Perez is right there with them, and Fernando Alonso starts second and was literally looked like a pace car out there. I think that with Formula One, part of what makes it appealing, the reality show, a huge factor that gives people a glimpse to the personalities but I do think that it's the race cars and the ingenuity and the innovation and the sleek sexiness of that speed and that power on display that people get intoxicated by because it's sexy cars. It's the Mercedes. It's, you know what I mean? It's it's Ferrari. And then you add into the fact of like rivalries and kind of smug personalities that you find out are actually humans. That intrigues people. But they also go to super sexy places. Miami, Las Vegas, Monaco. You yeah. know what I mean? Cabana's trackside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all, all of it is, you know, whatever, the point oh oh one percentile. But I just think from a product standpoint, uh, terrible on that end. Uh, this from Bill. He goes, Kev, uh, m- might want to give your listeners a heads up. TSA, absolute dumpster fire this morning. Really? So if you're flying out, he says better be an hour early or you're going to miss. You know, the... um be pretty par for the course on a Monday, right? Well, I told you, what when I was in Atlanta last week, and I get to TSA, and they're like, "Uh, TSA pre-approved closes at 9. I'm like, what? And this is the Atlanta airport, and it's packed, and they had like two people working. And it was a total dumpster fire. I mean, we got through, but good Lord. I would assume part of the crowd over there, if they didn't get out of town last night, will be the Colts rookies uh, heading back to wherever their hometown is. NFL rules mandate after this rookie minicamp. Uh, rookies are not in the building for just this week, so they will disperse to their respective homes across the U.S., and then they will get back to the Colts complex next week and take part in the rest of the spring offseason program. So they won't miss anything from an OTA on-field standpoint. It's kind of weird why the NFL does this. I don't really know why. Um, But we'll get into rookie minicamp here uh, throughout the show. Anthony Richardson's first time on a practice field. Josh Downs looking like the best player on the field, which I think you would have expected considering his college production. Uh, And then did you see the interesting Jim Irsay tweet late last night? I did, and I have thoughts on that because I assume that we'll get to that. But essentially, Jim Irsay said, any franchise that has reached out to Andrew Luck or you know, representatives of Andrew Luck are in clear violation of the NFL tampering policy. Do we know? Look, Jim Irsay would know that better than I. But I have questions about it. 
but it's the, we assume, Washington Commanders, correct? The Washington Commanders apparently last year, uh, who also, basically the Commanders found themselves in the same position of the Colts as that they got Carson Wentz and went, wait a minute, this guy? We got to do something here. But I read one article, Kevin, that it was the Colts that the Commanders had reached out to. Then others saying, no, it was representatives of luck, right? Yeah. Um, just the hatred between Jim Mercer and Daniel Snyder is just, just through the roof. I mean, that was my first thought when I saw the commanders doing this. Obviously, Daniel Snyder still the owner at the time when this sort of thing would have happened. Um, I believe the, re- the original ESPN story mentioned reaching out directly to luck. Uh, I would have to double check that, but obviously, as Ursay's tweet, which had a very kind of legal feel to it, um, you know that would be tampering. I would assume some sort of fine from Washington and or loss of draft pick if that is proven. Again, here, Lux. Here's my question. Go ahead, and then I'll. No, I was just going to mention Lux contract had three years left on it when he retired in 2019. Um. But under league rules, that player's contract tolls, T-O-L-L-S, when they retire. Um, So the player's rights are still with the Colts. Now, I would assume, Kevin, that what that means is this. Jim Mercer would know better than I. But his contract was to expire. Had, had Had Andrew Luck played out his contract, his contract expired in the 21 season, correct? Yeah, I think it was at the end of the 21 season, yeah. Okay. He retired in what year? Uh, 19, August of 19. So he had three years remaining on his contract, right? I would assume that it has to be one of two ways. That means that either the Colts maintain his rights for three years or the Colts maintain his rights should he return for three years upon his return it's got to be one of the two if it's the former he his rights are no longer held by the indianapolis colts if it's if if the colts right now hold andrew luck's rights which i believe they do then that would mean that they are holders of his rights upon the time that he re-enters himself back in as an nfl employee meaning in the interim he is not contractually the rights of anyone until he in other words when washington came back to him and said would you be willing to play for us if he would have said yes and then signed a deal then the colts would say no 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 as soon as you put ink to paper on an nfl contract you are actually our property <coughs> but i don't do you see what i'm saying if if they held on to his rights, if the second that he said, I'm retired, his contract was frozen and there were three years left on it, that means that those three years go into effect as soon as he returns to the NFL. So does that mean that he's on permanent hold permanently for yeah, 30 I- years from now? To be honest, I I don't know the exactness to it. What I do know is this: if any team out there wants to pursue him, um, you would be tampering and going 
in any other direction outside of contacting the Colts initially. That's, and that's where I have – and I believe that's probably correct. But but if I was an attorney, where I would raise that question is, okay, so does, does the tolling of his contract, so to speak, mean a forever permanent interim basis? I believe so. So in the year 2056, if the Cleveland Browns want to hire Andrew Luck as a quarterback consultant, do they have to negotiate with the Colts first? Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know if it extends to other departments. If Andrew Luck wants to get into the ticking de- ticketing department of the Browns, I don't know uh, how that unfolds. But um, clearly, Jim Mersey is saying this to <laughs> remind everyone out there that Andrew Luck is still Colts property, would, for lack of a better term. Would Jim Mersey have sent that tweet if it was the Cleveland Browns? I was going to say, and then obviously there's a ton of history with Washington. Right. Just a ton of, and, and I think hatred, which I know is a strong word, towards Daniel Snyder and his actions. We clearly saw that in the fall. Um, it still just dumbfounds me that Washington did the trade for Carson Wentz, knowing that the Colts would have cut him five days later. Um, just an idiotic move by the Commanders franchise. Well, how about this, Kevin? This is the this is the full circle NFL nature of things all the time. But it is interesting that when Andrew Luck was a rookie and a dynamic player, he lost out on Rookie of the Year to Robert Griffin III, who was playing for Washington. Then once RG3 has his career go by the wayside, largely injury-based, then Andrew Luck becomes the it guy. Washington is left scrambling for a replacement permanently, seemingly. Andrew Luck's career, largely based on injury, comes by the wayside. And Washington goes with the quarterback that initially Indianapolis thought was finally going to be their long-term answer, which they gave up on. And then Washington, after a year, gives up on. I mean, it's very... The incestuous nature of the NFL never ceases to amaze. Uh, Andrew Luck, for what it's worth, will be 34 years old in September and has spent the last spring, which I think, given Stanford's quarter system, uh, might still be out there, taking classes uh, at Stanford. So you and him, similar there, Jake. That's right. Spring classes. Similar degrees as well, that sure. Yeah, um, who's that? Is that Kurtz? Uh, Carl points this out. Yeah, I mean, the Colts saw the rights to Pat McAfee. It, it's very similar on that end. But again, well. I, I would I would maintain if they still have those rights, then that is if it's a three year window in which the Colts have Interlux rights. The best way I can describe it is: you ever seen that game on The Price Is Right where there's like a there's a huge wall of numbers and they slide and you've got to stop it when it gets when the 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 winning number is within the little green mm-hmm. yeah section it's kind of the same thing like you have this 3 year window that is that just sits there and as the years go by it slides and then once the player decides to come back the green window slides over that particular year i Andrew Luck and Pat McAfee if they have years left on their contract again this is my assumption the Colts maintaining their rights picks back up. It's on pause. Holding their rights is on pause, and it picks back up as soon as they enter back into the National Football League. At which, so, in other words, if I was an attorney for the Washington Commanders, and I'm not an attorney, I don't even play one on TV. I haven't even taken the Sally Struthers classes. But if I was, I would argue 
oh, we are well under the understanding that if we were to get Andrew Luck to agree to play football for us, that there would have to be compensation to the Indianapolis Colts or negotiation made. But before we even went that route, we wanted to see if that was a possibility. And he is not anybody's property right now until he agrees to come back, at which point when he signs the re-entry papers, he is property of the Indianapolis Colts. That would be my assumption. Yeah, I think any discussion on it's that It's also end, fun to just say that that's not the assumption because Daniel Snyder's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I think any discussion initially through the Colts in terms of his contract picking up or a new contract starting, um, that I think remains to be seen. You know, um, Jerry points out Rob Gronkowski coming back, you know, from the Patriots to the Bucks. You know, I kind of forget if Gronk was a free agent at that time, but uh, nonetheless, clearly it's Jim Irsay looking to certainly remind everyone of the Colts and them having the right to unluck, and also, I think, at the same time, hoping to um, make sure the Washington Commanders are punished if need be. Okay, we'll get into Colts' uh, rookie camp thoughts there. Anthony Richardson on an NFL field. Certainly some uh, bright moments and certainly some moments where Richardson Look like a guy that had completed 53% of his passes last year at Florida. Uh, NBA-wise, pretty darn good so far. Um, 2-2, both the series that wrapped up Game 4 yesterday. You had Boy, I, I've always disliked how James Harden plays basketball. Um, he's been pretty special this series. And Joel Embiid should thank him for how he's playing right now. 2-2 there, and the Suns control home floor. So it's been all the home... Uh, teams winning in that series as they win last night. Nikola Jokic had what, whatever he had, 50-something. Uh, him and Matt Ishbia uh, with a little bit of a shove and a flop. I assume a fine will be coming for Jokic on that. How good has Devin Booker been? Outstanding. And, you know, Jamal Murray's a heck of a player, too. I mean, it's funny to think you got those two guys, Kentucky guys, going at it. That series, that series is fascinating, as is Boston-Philly, because I thought for sure Boston was going to I still think Boston's going to win the East. But, Kevin, let me ask you. I mean, in those two series, with Phoenix now tying it up and with Philly tying it up, do you see, like, who do you feel like is in control of either one of those? Well, I think it's funny. Whenever you get these 2-2 series and it shifts back to the better seed for Game 5, I always feel like all the pressure is on that Game 5 at home. Because if you don't secure home floor and win that game, now you are facing elimination on the road in Game 6. And how Phoenix has reacted to the Chris Paul injury and what Devin Booker's doing, I mean, it's not just the scoring. It's not just the high field goal percentage, which is remarkable by Booker. I mean, the dude's averaging like nine assists a game. Uh, and then in you know Boston's case, I think they'll be able to handle home floor, but boy, Harden looks a bit vintage. Uh, tonight, we'll see if the Heat and the Lakers can go up 3-1. Both Miami and L.A. absolutely rolled on Saturday in Game 3's at home. So they both have chances as the lower-seeded teams to um, take a 3-1 lead on that front. Isn't it funny with the the Heat and the Knicks, it feels like the Heat are in complete control, and then you forget that they're the 8th seed, right? But they feel like... I mean. Can Miami advance past this? Is this their ceiling? Are they going to beat Boston or Philly? Boy, I, I, you wouldn't think so, but I mean, certainly they have a pedigree that's unlike a lot of eight seeds. I also feel this, you know, similar to the all the pressure on the home team in Game Five. You know, if you're the Heat and the Lakers tonight, you have the chance to go up three-one on your home floor. 
that's got to feel like a pretty big burden because if you do lose this, now you've lost home court, it's 2-2, and the team that's the better seed probably feels like they have stolen a game and the series now becomes a best of three on their home floor. So a lot to get to. You see, uh, I thought it was relatively quiet considering his last name and the fanfare of it, but... Bronny James to USC in a very like low key announcement. I think everybody knows though, Kevin. It's there's no secret about the fact that it's a one year deal, right? And I was watching his senior night. Somebody posted the video of his senior night in high school, and they're like, "Bronny James, this year who averaged 14 points and eight assists per, or 14 points and eight rebounds per game. Good numbers, don't get me wrong. But if his name's Bronny Bowen, is he going to USC?" Is he going to Kentucky? Is he going to UCLA? Or is he going to Akron, Central Michigan? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it has a lot to do with it. I don't know. How how good is the Sierra Canyon basketball team? Yeah, like, I, is he playing with a bunch of D1 dudes? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think he's probably a fine player. But I, but to be a – when you go somewhere and everybody knows you're going to play for your freshman year of college only, you got to be Carmelo Anthony. You know what I mean? You got to be pretty elite. I find it interesting. He's going to USC. They have committed the number one kid in the class in Isaiah Collier. Um, so he is certainly going to play second fiddle to him, if not more. Um, and again, I just couldn't believe what it's like an hour before the Derby. His dad's getting ready to play in game three in like three hours. And it's just like, oh, yeah, Bronny James just posted on Instagram, him to USC. Right. It wasn't this like big ordeal like which, we usually Which that did. aspect, I guess, give him credit, right? It I, wasn't like some... And did his dad sit here and say, hey, I've screwed up big decisions before in a public setting. Let's just keep this pretty low-key. Also a good point, yeah. Um, so we won't get Bronny in the Big Ten then, if it's only one year? That's right. There's no doubt it's only one year. Because someone is going to draft Bronny James, regardless of his skill level. Someone is going to draft him in the late first, early second, because they know that that means they're getting LeBron. For a year. Maybe two. But I mean, there is a franchise out there that would love to have LeBron James. Who is a franchise that has been mired in both mediocrity and lack of fanfare for the last 10 years? Well, probably raise the hand for this market. Last six years, certainly. Orlando Magic. Yeah, I mean, you could a slew of teams. Charlotte Hornets. That's a good... The Hornets is a good one, but would Jordan do that? Well, he's the he's Washington out, he? the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards sign they draft Bronny James 29th overall because they know that they then get 2 years of LeBron James at the end of his career just like they did with Jordan. And they pack in the farewell tour for people to come out and see LeBron James for the final 2 years. How all of that game. will be handled is going to be very very interesting. I was talking with somebody over the weekend that worked in the McDonald's All-American Games and said that how the other prospects went through the events versus Bronny was, could not be polar opposite. Like, hey, hey, uh, when you check in your hotel room, come downstairs, we'll have a photo shoot, and then we'll take you to this event and that event. And all the prospects are like, okay, good. And they come down and they do it. And Bronny's crew is like, no, 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 we're good. We'll do this and that and that, and we'll, and we'll pick this and we'll do that. We're not going to do the press conference. Like, the handling of him is just so much different than everybody else. Yeah. And how long can you keep that up? How long can you continue to do that? Again, good Monday morning to you. 
Um, temps, boy, I saw like upper 70s, potentially in the 80s all week long here. So quite the change from where we were at. Was it just last Monday when it was absolutely awful outside? I feel like it's changed in a big way here in a week. Again, we'll talk Colts Rookie Minicamp. The takeaways from that, Marcus Erickson joins us at 8 o'clock. Doug Bowles at 8.30, the GMR Grand Prix coming up this Saturday afternoon, which kind of kicks off the racing aspect to the month of May. You're listening to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. All right, in the NBA yesterday, you saw both of the home teams get it done, tie those series up at 2-2. James Harden, uh, first Forced overtime with the floater in the lane and then hits a corner three in OT. Boston does not get a shot off in time. Marcus Smarts, he either went in just after the buzzer. So Philly evens it up with Boston at 2-2. And then last night, Nikola Jokic scored over 50, but cannot overcome Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and company. Phoenix gets both home games without Chris Paul. So that series is at 2-2. Jake, looking ahead to tonight, you've got the Heat and the Lakers both with opportunities to go up 3-1 on their home floors. Indeed. 7.30 tip for New York in Miami, and then at 10 o'clock tonight, it is the Lake Show. The LA Lakers trying to go up, take that commanding 3-1 lead on Golden State. I'm going to say the same thing about that series that I said. I can't remember which series it was, but um, and I think I was wrong at that time. Whoever wins the Lakers-Warriors tonight wins the series. If Golden State wins and ties it up at 2-2, they will go on and win the series. I think you said that about the Warriors-Kings series. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was, yep. Uh, and I was right, right? Yeah. Yeah, you were correct. Because Golden State is just... I, listen, I know they're... If they go down 3-1, it's going to be tough for them. But, but if they tie it up at 2-2, they get home court back. I mean, Steph will have a couple 50-point games and they're off and running. <laughs> All right, baseball from over the weekend. Um, the Reds got absolutely smoked by the White Sox, which are was you quite abandon, humbling. Being a Reds fan, are you abandoned following mm-hmm. this team? Yeah. Uh, they gave up 11 in the second inning. Do you think that guy was under the influence when he said that? Had he had a couple of cold ones? I don't know. God, I hate to say it. He's probably is right with a lot of those comments. No, he is right. Well, where are you going to go? Mark, 14 innings yesterday? Yep, yep, 14 innings. So you couldn't take the sweep from the Marlins. We still won two out of three. So. On a bulk? Yeah, yeah, I was listening on that way. Drive in, and I was like, are you kidding? That's how they lose, but... Did you say a bulk? Mm-hmm. Balk. I go a balk. Balk? I, don't believe, I believe it's a silent L. Would you agree, Mark? Silent L. Yeah. Uh, White Sox lose to the Twins, 7-3. Tigers no. over the Mets. White Sox played the Reds. Oh, sorry. Uh, Tigers over the Mets, 2-0. In that one, uh, the Cardinals, they beat the Tigers. 12-6. to six. Indians have won five in a row. Heck yeah. Break them up, man. Pirates, though, going the wrong direction. They're one of the hottest teams that have lost the last seven in a row. Yeah. Dip into the AAA pool. Yep. Get a few more. Uh, Indians not home until next week if you're looking for a game at Victory Field. Uh, Colts rookie camp taking place over the course of the weekend. That means Anthony Richardson was throwing the football. That means that one of his potential long-term favorite targets was catching it. Kevin Bowen was among those that were watching it. We're going to break down of exactly that and how things looked, how things, I guess, came together for Anthony Richardson and Josh Downs to do more than throw the football in a parking lot. That breakdown, and then again, Marcus Erickson going to join us in 23 minutes on a good-looking Monday. Good morning to you. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. Kevin, I've got a trivia question for you. Okay. If you get this right, I'll be highly impressed. Oh, boy. Well, that's a big standard. 
You Jake to think think that of me. Was watching my Birmingham Stallions USFL matchup last night. Uh-huh. Taking on the Pittsburgh Maulers. <coughs> Stallions quarterback Jamar Smith out for the year with a broken finger. His backup and they're trying to get in rhythm. Stallions in a critical drive. Like a third and seven throws a slant to the receiver right in the numbers. I mean, right smack in the numbers. Right off the shoulder pad, right off the sternum. Incomplete. What former Colt draft pick wide receiver was it? Your guy from Clemson, right? Kevin Bowen. (laughs) Deion Kane, baby. Deion Kane. 20 touchdowns in three years at Clemson. Just kind of a wild stat. Dominated that first training camp, tears ACL, and the rest is history. Again, I, I always say, when I watched him at Clemson, made every impossible catch, dropped every sure one, which is just the way it goes for some guys. Point, the reason I bring it up is because Josh Downs uh, did not appear to have Deion Kane tendencies at minicamp. Minicamp does not a training camp, does not a season make, does not a career make, but you like to see signs and – Kevin, give me your scouting from what you guys were able to see. First off, for those that are unfamiliar, take me through how much you saw, and then even at that, you can how it compares to other you, you know other things that you've seen of players of the like ilk and how it compares. Yeah, so rookie minicamp, um, open media practices on Friday and Saturday, just over an hour. We're able to watch. Um, Again, these are your draft picks, your undrafted free agents, and then a lot of tryout guys to try and field you know, a 50-man practice roster so you can do some 11-on-11 stuff. It's not very extensive at all. I think Richardson, Friday, I want to say he only threw four balls in the 11-on-11 session. Um, and Josh Downs, based off resume, should be the best player on the field, and he was exactly that. Um, he's a guy that just, and Shane Sykin, I thought, described it pretty well um, over the weekend of just there is a natural feel and just savviness to him as a route runner that you definitely see. I think over half of Richardson's completions on Friday were two downs. Um, so that obviously makes a whole lot of sense there. And for 5'8", and even watching him at North Carolina, and I don't know, he's probably listed a little bit higher than that, but I never felt like he was super restrictive in like his catch radius if you want to use that that phrase. He made a couple of plays I thought where, you know, the ball necessarily wasn't thrown exactly on target and he kind of reached up or 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 made nice adjustments um, to haul in those passes. So, um, for me Josh Downs needs to be your slot, you know, starter. Uh, of course, we'll now as the month of May moves along into June, get him into some veteran settings. You'll see how he reacts with those guys, but I thought he was easily the most consistent productive player on the field so much about quarterback receiver you know tandems becomes about timing and if you are a quarterback drafted into the league if you're a receiver who just got drafted the first thing you want to know is who the other one is going to be and whether or not you can become that familiar Mahomes to Kelsey or Brady to Gronk type feel and you know cohesiveness and tandem that's what you want 
Josh Downs apparently was looking for that. He wasted no time asking Anthony Richardson if they could do a little throw around of the pigskin. Did it in the Colts parking lot, as a matter of fact. Question for Anthony Richardson. Did you think that was crazy that Josh Downs wanted to get in a throwing session? No, I didn't think it was crazy. You know, um, first day in, you know, we going through medical and all that. I went in the equipment room and got a football so I can, you know, get custom with it, you know, fiddle it around a little bit. Uh, He saw me carrying it around. I knew he wanted to work because he's a dog. He's going to want to work. Um, I think we had just finished like meeting or something, and he texted me he was like, "When we get to the hotel, you want to throw?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm, I'm down for it." So, uh, threw the ball with him, you know, for like 30 minutes. We chopped it up, got to know him a little bit, but you know, he's a dog. He's always ready to work. You know, Josh Downs. We had him on Friday. He shared that, that that story that him and Anthony had thrown the night before and getting ready for rookie minicamp on Friday. You know, a couple of things that stood out to me about Richardson, Jake, in watching him. I, the, the throwing motion is definitely not like awkward. I mean, it, it's a very natural looking thrower. I would say more so than any quarterback I've ever seen practice. And you know, covered the Colts now for ten or eleven years, so whatever that number is, I have never seen a quarterback spend as much time in between reps mimicking a throwing motion or mimicking what the other QBs are doing. So the Colts had two tryout quarterbacks in this weekend. Strictly, I think, just to you know, not have Anthony Richardson throw his arm out, throwing to all these guys. And so there are a couple other QBs that Richardson would, would watch. And every single time he is standing behind the play mimicking what they are doing or that motion. And I think it's probably a couple of things. One, it just seems like this is something he does. I asked him about it on Saturdays. Like, oh yeah, it's just something that I like to do. Two, I mean, this is a guy that is trying to drill in some new fundamentals. He is a different you know, operator as a quarterback than he was at Florida. Particularly, he used the phrase, speeding up his footwork. Um, he referenced an example like at Florida when they took a drop out of the shotgun it would be a three-step drop well now with the Colts it's a five-step drop so like those are some of the little you know details that are different for Richardson Um, and he would do that on a I mean literally every single rep he would do that Um, I thought his accuracy was about what I would expect Um, he definitely had moments where he was in a good quick rhythm wasn't holding on to the ball very long and threw the ball on target and he had a couple where the big arm did not match you know, where guys were from a timing standpoint at all. But I did have to laugh uh, sitting there watching Friday's practice. And who shows up? Tony Dungy walks out to practice. You look in the indoor facility, and they've got the big garage doors up, the indoor facility panning out to the outdoor. And there's Shaquille Leonard and Tyquan Lewis. Jake, I've been to a lot of rookie minicamp practices. Tony Dungy and Shaquille Leonard don't just show up for Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason. Like, there is a... There is a feel of like we want to see what this kid can do, and clearly by you know one of the more accomplished veterans on the team and Leonard, and obviously Tony Dungy, um, all eyes wanted to get a witness of what Anthony Richardson looks like. Well, the question is going to be for Anthony Richardson. You know, there's going to be a lot, right? There's going to be a lot thrown his way. Different playbook, different play calls. As we have talked about a million times, that window closes a lot quicker in the NFL. When when to to use the the term from the gambler, you know, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Know when to throw the ball, know when to hold it, know when to run. A lot going on for Anthony Richardson. Question for Shane Steichen. You know, he's seen young quarterbacks. He's seen Jalen Hurts. He's seen Justin Herbert. What kind of learner coach is Anthony Richardson? 
He's got a great presence about him. He's got a great bounce in his step. He's always smiling, always got great energy, enthusiastic. And I think when you have that, I think players around him will feed off it. But it's been really good to see. That's apparently Shane Steichen on what kind of learner Anthony Richardson is. I, listen, um, he's doing all the right things at this point, right? I mean, he's saying all the right things. Talking about Anthony Richardson. He, he, he is, at this point, it, it's one weekend, right? But... It does appear to be a guy like Jamarcus Russell. I think was a player that right away. I think right away people could tell like, whoa, wait a minute! Like this dude, as soon as he heard his name drafted, was done. Richardson seems to be the other way around. As soon as he heard his name drafted, now he's ready. Yeah, I, I don't think you're worried about Richardson necessarily. Like you know, mentally off the field, you know, in, any of those things. Uh, whatsoever. Again, rookies will now leave Indy for a few days. They'll get back. I think it's a week from today, May 15th. Uh, then they'll be able to participate in 13 practices, 10 OTAs, and uh, three minicamp practices the rest of the spring. Just a couple other rookie notes. Uh, Juju Brent's a kid out of Warren Central. He is not participating due to that wrist injury, so that's a great opportunity for the other corners they drafted. Darius Rush in round five, Jalen Jones in round seven. They're going to get some chances here this spring to try and earn playing time. Certainly, Brents will have his chance once training camp rolls around, but still, you can't overlook you know, w- what impression those guys could potentially leave on the coaching staff here this spring. And I know a lot of people have interest in the local undrafted kid, Emil Echior out of Cathedral, um, he dropped all the way from, boy, I think Dane Brugler, who he had on, I think he thought he was like a fourth-round pick, dropped all the way to going undrafted. Uh, Echior said it was due to a knee scope he had a couple of years ago. Um, and some teams, it sounded like, you know, kind of red-flagged him medically. Um, so I don't know if, you know, teams have questions about just his staying power in the league, you know, his, his whatever. Is he a five- to seven-year guy, or do they feel like he's only like a three- to four-year guy? Um but Echior's 40 starts at Alabama, and he's a guy that if that knee cooperates, which you know he really didn't miss time at Alabama for that injury, um, he's going to have a chance, I think, to not only make this team, but potentially earn some playing time. So I think of all the undrafted guys, not just saying that because he's a local product, he's the one to watch, given I mean, the that, position that he plays and given the fact that he started 40 games at Alabama. Doesn't it just feel like a four-year starter at Alabama, just or a multi-year starter at Alabama, just automatically plugs you in as an NFL prospect? Yeah, I would have assumed somebody took a chance on him, but I mean, the entire league uh, decided to pass on him. So um, again, he is the undrafted guy that I think will be a name to uh, to keep an eye on. I. Didn't the Colts have the record, Kevin? It may still be. A, I know last year it was snapped. But didn't they haven't they set the NFL record for most consecutive years with at least one undrafted free agent starting or playing a game? Yeah, today? it was boy, did it reach 23, 22, 23 straight years of at least one on the week one roster? Last year they 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 started back up. Um I think it was snapped 2 years ago. Last year they had several undrafted guys. Uh, Dallas Flowers of course being one of them. Uh, Wesley French being one of them. I think JoJo Doman was the other. So uh, they are back to having some sort of streak. And if you look at right guard and probably linebacker, I would say those are the two that you'd point to right now from a roster standpoint as positions that um, could have an undrafted guy make the team. There are some reports that the NFL schedule could be released later this week. 
uh, potentially Thursday. I'll let you know my vacation then the day after. Night on that end. I know I always enjoy the schedule, Lisa. I know a lot of people are like, oh, just the NFL making another you know big deal out of an event. I just think from a logistics standpoint, like if you're if you're you, as you just said, Jake, you you know plan around from a vacation standpoint. I mean, think about how many fans are like totally. Oh yeah, I want to map out what my fall and, looks and like. What are the road games this year? What it's two divisions? AFC North and NFC South. I want so, to say. NFC South, so you've got New Orleans, Tampa. These are potential road games, right? Do we know yet which ones are home and which yeah, are away? Yeah, we do. So New Orleans um, will be here. So the Saints are here That's and the Bucks are here. I have it in front of me. Falcons, Ravens, so, Panthers, Bengals, Patriots, and the division games are all They the got completely yeah. jobbed there, right? Because wouldn't you rather have, if you're a fan, wouldn't you rather go to New Orleans or... To Tampa, Tampa or Vegas, then to go, yeah, then to go to Carolina or Atlanta. So the sixth straight year, the Colts will play the Raiders. That's become like that an is, annual. It is amazing matchup again. Seventeen games on the schedule. We've now seen that for the last couple of years. The extra game this year. Last year, the Colts' extra game was going to Minnesota, and that obviously ended in historic fashion. This year, it will be the Rams coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. I would say the biggest marquee home game on the schedule. Boy, I <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Unless I'm totally missing somebody, I I think any of those. These are your home quarterbacks. If 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 Desha- Levis or Stroud are playing, they're big games because people will be curious to see what they do. These are your home quarterbacks: Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Trevor Lawrence, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett, and then potentially C.J. Stroud and Will Levis. I mean, not, not a lot of marquee quarterbacks descending upon Lucas Oil. The Rams would have been the marquee game a year ago. Not so much this year, after the year they had. I don't think you have a single team coming to Lucas Oil this year that won double-digit games last year. No, you're not. I think Jacksonville is the best record at 9-8. Jacksonville and, I guess, Pittsburgh as well. All right, uh, Marcus Erickson, right? Defending champ That's right. of the yep. Indianapolis 500. He joins us on the other side. Kevin Aquari here on a Monday. You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Marcus Erickson is snaking around. Pato Ward and Tony Kanata are skulking with Felix Rosenquist. Marcus Erickson with a five-car length advantage. And the caution flag has come out due to an incident in turn number two, Mark. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers. And he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. That's how it sounded a year ago. Marcus Erickson winning his first Indianapolis 500. That makes him the defending winner. And the year of the spoils about to come to an end because we're about to do it all over again. He joins us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline and currently the points leader in the NTT IndyCar Series. Marcus, first, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How's it going? Going well. Uh, I think everybody around here just kind of has a little jolt, right? Because it's the month of May and everybody knows, you know, starts to ramp up with the Grand Prix this weekend. And then we turn to the 107th Indy 500. I want to begin with this. When you hear that from a year ago and you're going into turn, really coming through turn three and all of a sudden Sage Karam hits the wall in two, what went through your mind as soon as you looked down and you realized that you're under caution? And do you think those guys behind you had enough to be able to catch up on that final lap? So what went through my mind that like instant when the caution came on that last lap was I, I 
screamed out some bad swear words because I thought it was going to be, it meant it was another restart. But then, you know, very quickly I realized, no, this is, the, this is it. This is white flag. We're going to the checkered here. So that's, uh, that anger changed to, to an explosion of emotions instead of, of, of you know, happiness and, and, and all what came with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw when I, when, when I managed to hold off Pastor there into turn one on the white flag, uh, I, I thought that was it because he had to lift and he lost a lot of momentum. So I thought it was it. But obviously, as we've seen many, many times in, in the, in the 500 and in the car, you can never be sure until you go under that checkered flag. So, uh, yeah, it was a very intense, uh, restart and lost a couple laps there. Okay, well, let's go back, if you don't mind, Marcus, maybe a few laps even prior to that. Uh, when the red flag came out, were there more bad words? The, yeah, the, the, it was definitely a lot of bad words <laughs> coming out of my mouth there because, you know, I had that three-second gap, and it was pretty stable, and I felt like my car that day was, was so fast, and, and you know, we, we I managed to get myself there in position. We got some lappers in between us, and then had that gap and was counting down the laps, counting down every corner, every lap. And I, I felt like I had it covered. And then, yeah, that yellow came and then, you know, red flag. And it was, um, it was all to play for again. So that was very, very frustrating. But during that red flag, you know, I sort of turned it around with a lot of help from my team uh, on the radio, but turned around to, to seeing the opportunity and then, you know, seeing it as another test to, that I had to go through to, to be a Indy 500 champion. You know, it's funny, Marcus, and we've probably talked about this maybe even last year, but now we can advance it a little bit. Quite frankly, going into last year's race, there was so much talk about each of your teammates, right? I mean, you had the veteran Tony Kanaan, you had Scott Dixon, who was unbelievably fast. You had Jimmy Johnson and, and all of that storyline. And Marcus Erickson was kind of the car out of that stable that we didn't talk about as much, and yet you were the most consistent for the entire length of the race. You were, you know, you were top five, top six the entire race basically, and you end up winning it. Now you go from going kind of off that radar a little bit to a focal point. I mean, here we are. You're the first driver that we reached out to to have on to kick us off for the month of May because you're the defending winner, and that's going to be the case. Does it feel different than a year ago? It, it feels very different. I think it, it's funny you say that because that was the thing last year. I had such a strong lineup with teammates, and it was all the focus was on uh, was on them. It felt like even though we, you know, in the eighth car, I think we were top eight or something every single session uh, the whole month. Uh, we were so consistently up there, and, and like you said, the race as well, running in the top five or six the whole the whole day. So we were definitely there, but yeah, people didn't maybe take notice, which. Uh, which was was fun in its own way, uh, but yeah, this, this year obviously is going to be very different coming in as the defending champion. But on top of that, also the points leader now going into the month of May. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more attention. But uh, I enjoy it. I've had such a blast this past you know twelve months of, of being the defending five hundred champion. Got to do so many cool things and have seen you know back home in Sweden for sure. I've had a lot of support and, and following, but but now here in the States as well and in, in India and Indianapolis, it's, it's a lot of fans that comes up and wishing me luck for the month and, and for the season. And it's, uh, yeah, that feels great. So I'm, I'm just uh, super excited to be back at the Speedway and be here as, as defending champion. It's going to be so special. So I'm just going to try and enjoy every single moment, moment of it while at the same time, you know, trying to defend that title, of course. 
be a week from tomorrow. Practice will begin for the Oval. Obviously, coming up on Saturday, you have the GMR Grand Prix uh, before things shift to the two-and-a-half-mile Oval coming up here next week. Marcus Erickson with us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Marcus, you kind of brought it up there, and I'm curious, over the past year, I saw you were just at the Kentucky Derby, so I'm sure that probably ranks somewhat high on the list, but maybe what is the coolest event or the coolest person you have met here in the last year in celebrating your Indy 500 victory? Uh, it's, it's been so many cool uh, moments and, and you know, uh, things that I got to experience these last 12 months. Uh, but if I have to, like, pick one thing, it was when I got back to my hometown of Kumla, Sweden. We brought the Borg won a trophy all the way over to Sweden. And we were doing, my hometown was throwing this event on the on the city square uh, in the middle of November. And Sweden in the middle of November is not a very happy place it's dark and cold and you know it's uh yeah it's not the best time of the year there but i got uh you know pretty much all the city it was ten thousand people in city square in a city that's less than twenty thousand, and and people were there on the city square celebrating me and my win and 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 that was just uh incredible to do that you know at home properly at home that was something that's uh i'm never gonna forget that and that was uh extremely special to me how was the derby the derby was amazing. It was really fun. Uh, we we were there just over the day. Uh, the number eight horse won, and I cannot <laughs> believe I didn't bet on it. It was it's a complete brain freeze there <laughs> from my side. So, but I hey, I take it as a good sign for the month ahead. You know, sure. if the number eight horse won, I'm, I'm betting on the number eight horse for for the five hundred <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Marcus, I thought you had a really interesting tweet. Marcus Erickson, by the way, is our guest on the Paylessikers Hotline. Let me tell you one of the things I think is really cool, and it kind of ties into a tweet you had. I understand, and I respect the fact that a lot of drivers, you came from a Formula One background, you had been in Formula One, you come over to IndyCar, and I think a lot of drivers don't grasp the enormity of the Indy 500 until they're in it. You know, I know that you know of the Indy 500, but the first time you go into turn one and the full stands and the track feels like it's narrowed and you understand the true scope of of the race. You sent the following tweet yesterday while everybody was talking about Formula One in Miami. It, quote, I know every race can't be a classic, but imagine if all the people watching F1 today would give IndyCar a chance. We always have a minimum of two to three stops with different strategies, refueling, push to pass instead of DRS, plenty of teams and drivers that can win each weekend. It's fun, I promise. The thing I love about that, you live in Indianapolis now. You have embraced Indianapolis and the race itself. You go to fuel games. You're out and about within the community. What is it about this community and that race that has drawn you in now to recruiting people towards it as opposed to longing to go back to F1? Uh, I think it's many things, to be honest with you. It's uh, it's like you said. It's, it's very true what you said there. I came to, to America, and I knew about the 500. I think everyone in the whole world knows about the 500 to some extent, but I didn't really know about it until, you know, until you experience it. I think you can't – it's hard to explain it to someone. And for me, you know, coming in 19 for my first 500, it completely blew me away. Uh, I, I, I thought it was going to be like any other – big race that we have you know i've done in formula one but it was just completely unique uh and i think it's because of the the history of the race the speeds we're doing the the sort of what it means to the community not only the racing community but the whole of indianapolis and indiana i feel like and and all those things the competition and all those things the build up 
it sort of adds up to it. Um, so yeah, I, I think the 500 is, is unique in, in the sporting world, in the racing world for sure. And, and I think it's a race that everyone has to experience. And, and when they do, I think a lot of them will fall in love with it. So, and so yeah, that, that's my feeling around the 500. Going back to your tweet there, I think it was, you know, it's a good example of, you know, I think Formula One, I'm, I'm not trying to, to sort of talk down about Formula One. I don't think that's the, the, the reason or that's what we should do. I'm just trying to say, hey, look at that boom around Formula One now. Everyone is talking Formula One in, in, in the world now. The interest has been going up so much the last few years. And we have IndyCar, which I think is a better product on the racing side. And I just wish more people would tune in and watch it and give it a chance because I think if they do, they will fall in love with IndyCar. I could not agree more. I turned it off after five laps. To be totally honest with you, Marcus, I'm like, this product uh, is nothing like what I'm used to with IndyCar. Okay, last one for me, uh, Marcus. Uh, Let's fast forward a couple of Sundays. Let's say you have the lead. Let's throw out maybe lap 190, okay? You're coming down the straightaway. You've got the lead. It's lap 190. Give me two names of guys you would not want to see immediately in your rearview mirror if you had the lead and guys are in second and third right behind you. Oh, that's that's hard. I think there's that's the cool thing with IndyCar, right? There's so many good drivers and teams out there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know who to pick really. I think it's going to be really, you know, a strong, strong, so many strong t- teams and drivers this year. I think my my teammates, you know, we have a dream team this year with with Taco, Dixon, Palu, and me. You know, that's that's a really strong lineup and. Either one of them is behind me. I know they're going to race me fair, but I know they're going to give me a hard time to, to win that race. So, yeah, I, I'll say one of those guys. Marcus, last thing for me. Um, I'm pretty sure – I can't remember when it was. Sometime in the last week, I was driving up college, I think. It was either college or Mass Ave. might have been Mass Ave. And I thought, well, that, I think that's Marcus Erickson walking down the street. And I think you had on flip-flops with jeans. Um, and I thought, okay, he's still bringing a little bit of Europe here. That's cool. But – it, it it that's when it really hit me that you you're a part of Indy now. You live here. Um, what is your favorite part about living in Indianapolis? And do you feel now that you're a Hoosier? I think I must have a lookalike because I don't I, I don't wear flip flop and jeans. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I'm glad because I was worried about it to be honest. So I was like, man, that is so Euro. Like like I don't know. I was like, that's not a good look. So I'm glad that wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but yeah, I, I um, no, I enjoy. Like I said, I I've been here, you know, since 2019. I moved here, you know, pretty much full time. I spend at least ten ten months of the year now in in Indianapolis. Uh, live up in Carmel, and uh, I I love it. Me me and my wife, we 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 love it here, and um, we we're actually looking for houses at the moment. At the end of the season, we we want to move into a house. So. Uh, I, I really feel like this is home for me and, and for us now, and, and, and I really enjoy it. You know, it's, uh, it's the racing capital of the world, in my opinion, and it's just, yeah, it's just a great place to live. So I, I really hope to stay here for many, many years to come. Marcus, last, last thing. I know it's just one day. Did you learn anything about what we might expect on race day at the Oval Test a few weeks ago? Uh, I, I think... Uh, the added downforce that we have this year should make the racing a bit better again. Uh, I think it was a little bit easier to follow closely uh, on, on that open test. Um, we will see a bit more, you know, when we get going here next week, obviously. But uh, I thought it was promising. You know, it hasn't changed uh, things a ton, which is good for us since we were so strong as a team last year. But 
I think it's uh, yeah, it's added a little bit. Uh, to the racing, hopefully. So, yeah, it should be exciting. A guy that thankfully does not wear flip-flops with his jeans, but will be in the car on Friday, this Friday, because practice and qualifying for the GMR Grand Prix, which will take place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course on Saturday. That is a fabulous fan-friendly, uh, family-friendly event, I should say, if you want to bring kids out on the viewing mounds. It's great. Very accessible. And then, of course, everything shifts to the 107th Indianapolis 500 with practice next week. Marcus, we wish you the best of luck for a very safe month and appreciate the time this morning. Look forward to seeing you out there. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Marcus. Marcus Marcus Erickson. Eight horse, Jake. Mage. Thank you, Marcus. With Marcus Erickson down at the Derby. How how did he not? Over the weekend. Um, He brought up, I thought, a really interesting point within the interview of the Ganassi team coming into this year's 500. And Jake, I mean, we are used to, you know, whatever, Penske having the fanfare with with their their teams and, and certainly Ganassi and Andretti, et cetera, et cetera. You look at that Ganassi team, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, Alex Pillow, and Takuma Sato. I mean, you talk about Indy 500? Totally. Yep. I mean, that those four guys, that's got to be one of the best four-man teams entering a 500. No question. And, and again, this three, is my I mean, 34-year-old mind talking. One of the best ever. Yeah, three that could win it, and or three that have won it, and one that, that probably will before it's all said and done. Right? Pelot easily could have won it. Yep. I mean, Just Pelot, a couple years ago. And it's funny, too, when you think about it, Kevin. I mean, this year's field, any of those four could win it. Right? And yes, Kanan can absolutely win it. Um... Kanan, I realize now with Arrow, my mind swooped over to that. Pato, you know, Sato can still win it, obviously. Then you have Kanan that was with them last year that's now at Arrow. He could absolutely win it. Pato Award, I'm telling you, is as good as it gets. Felix Rosenquist is a guy that just has had bad luck, but is really strong. And he then Rossi. You got Rossi, too, with, well, with, McCle- with Arrow McLaren. I mean... I was talking to somebody over the weekend, and I, again... The Ganassi four-man group obviously speaks for itself, but if you look at last year's finishers, obviously Marcus Erickson won, but Jake, two, three, four, and five are all, are all now with Arrow. Yeah. Pato Ward, Tony Kanaan, Felix Rosenquist, Alexander Rossi. So, you know, when you think month of May and you think who's been great here late, especially since that Arrow screen switch, it's been Ganassi and Arrow much more so than Team Penske. I mean, Penske has had some... I, I think it's fair to say major, major struggles there, especially considering their standard uh, since the arrow screen has shifted here a couple years ago. So Marcus Erickson, hopefully the first of many drivers that we will have on throughout the month of May. Again, We've a got week a lot. From We've got tomorrow. a lot already lined up, yeah. And will we have any more this week, Mark? Are we getting We've got more Elio to Nevis tomorrow. That's right. Uh, working on a couple the rest of the week. But then next week moving forward, we've got a driver basically every day the rest of the month so far i love it week from tomorrow again the oval practice as jake mentioned friday practice and quals for the gmr grand prix and then uh saturday it's a 3 30 is that right does that sound right green flag coming up that is correct uh and you guys beyond the bricks all week long right correct eight o'clock uh every night right after trackside so that's what the month of may forecast looks like for us here uh did you guys lay down any money on mage you know what we went to the bulldog Oh, to watch the Kentucky Derby literally walked in like as they were posting. So this might be why this is the case. Could have thrown a text. You could have and could have stopped by. Well, I figured you were 
out somewhere at a derby party in your seersucker suit and <laughs> yeah, you know I me, mean? Rosie with her big hat on. Uh, yeah, so exactly, we sat down and I thought, you know what, I'll I'll take ten bucks and throw it around a little bit. And I pulled up one of the apps and I couldn't find the derby on there. And my guess is, does every app do the derby, or is that exclusive to some apps? No, I'd assume every app does but, it. I but know, I think I might have been too late. Yeah, I know a lot of apps will have just their own racing specific bet so they'll take you from the main page for example and take you over there i, I may i'm trying to think when i made maddie wanted 10 bucks on two fills i did 10 on angel of empire and that was probably like 640 645 boy they, they, i used to really enjoy like the we're not going to take a commercial 20 minutes before post time and we're just going to follow these horses from the stalls all the way around the track literally as they get into their their respective starting positions and i felt like nbc kind of played it really close i guess you know it's prime you know uh ad revenue time for them um but yeah mage at 15 to 1 gets the, it done so that would have been 10 bucks to win 150 the only like for lack of a better phrase complaint i would have complaints wrong word but at the the bulldog they had it up on the huge, you know, I mean, everybody's watching the Derby, right? But they took the clean feed, for, for those that are unfamiliar with TV terms, the, the feed without all the graphics on it, like the backhaul satellite. They must have been getting it in off a satellite or something. So there were no graphics on it. So the horses are running, and you're like, well, who's who? Who's leading? Yeah. You know I what didn't I mean? even like, think NBC did a great job with that either. Because we, we, we went to a wedding on Saturday night, and we stopped um, at a bar just to watch it, and... We got graphics, and it was the NBC feed. No, you they had music playing. You couldn't hear the audio of the call, unfortunately. But it almost seemed like once they got to the da- once they got to the you know stretch, that they just took all the graphics away. And I, I mean, I understand the reason you don't want it to clog up the screen a little bit. But boy, it just you know, it looked like two fills was going to win at one point, and then Mage came out of relatively nowhere. Hey, how about how about reincarnate? I would like to have seen that. I'm telling you, reincarnate. I'm like, I'm telling you, that's that's the guy. And what, what, where did where did he finish? coming out of four? He was running. He was like right there. Then he got. I think he got pinched. I, there's so much that that. I mean, it is fascinating. How would you know if you're the jockey? How do you know when to go, when not? How do the horses know when to go, when not? I mean, you know, what horses are better in traffic? And your ability to like guide them through that traffic. Um, Another aspect to it that I think is pretty cool. Uh, all right, coming up in a few, we'll continue kind of the month of May focus with Doug Bowles. We'll get back into the Colts rookie minicamp conversation uh, here in a little bit. Let's uh, hit a morning check down. James Harden continues to get it done in pretty heroic fashion. 42 yesterday, a corner three for the win in overtime. Uh, but first, he sent in overtime with a floater in the lane. I thought that was a pretty cool moment to, to after the game. Uh, James Harden invited one of the um, shooting victims from Michigan State from earlier in the year on the floor, gave him his shoes. Jake, I, I've probably been a little bit more of a I don't like James Harden because I just think the basketball game like that he plays is a little boring for me, and, and I, I don't love it. But boy, what he is doing in these playoffs – He's a guy that I always thought was just a big time scorer, like a Bernard King. Big time scorer doesn't necessarily guard anybody. I'm, I, I don't know how Bernard King's defense was, but um, and he has changed that reputation for me. 
I was wrong. I'm not saying he, that he's changed. I, I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, I've he, probably he, been unfairly critical. Correct. I mean, in, because it's not just his scoring now, but he gets others involved as well. Joel Embiid, 34 and 13. Tyrese Maxey is a really good player with 14. As the Sixers win it, you mentioned 116, 115. Marcus Smart's shot was pretty impressive, but it was very clearly too late that would have won it for Boston. should have taken a timeout there at some point. I mean, I know Tatum did touch it, but yeah. Uh, do, you, do we think Nikola Jokic will be suspended for the pushing of Matt Ishbia last night? Um, that's a good question because there looked to be some theatrics involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it would probably be just if it happens – that's after Phoenix had knocked off, or, or in the process, I should say, of Phoenix knocking off Denver 129-124. That series now tied two games apiece. Devin Booker outstanding, 36 and 12 assists. Kevin Durant had 36 with 11 boards. Feels to me like Durant and Phoenix, it's very similar to what it's saying about LeBron and the Lakers, and that is you have a really good rising young player who has arrived. And those guys, as great and as legendary as they are, if they can... Uh, if they can set themselves to being the setup man and then the answer to when things rotate back over to them guy, then those two teams can be really tough to beat. But it just depends on how they balance that out. Lakers will have the chance to try to do exactly that tonight. Up two games to one over the Warriors. That's a 10 o'clock tip. That is two and a half hours after New York and Miami get things underway in South Florida. Miami leading two games to one. How about this math on Jokic? Okay, Jokic had 53 last night. 53, by the way. 53 points. 11 assists. So let's say all those assists were two-point field goals. That means that Nikola Jokic scored or assisted on 75 points in 39 minutes of basketball. 39 minutes of basketball, and he scored or assisted on at least 75 points. At one point, there was late in the game, Jokic had like kind of a floater in the lane. <laughs> it's the most incredible. awkward shot yeah. ever, is it uh, not? Uh, I know. You're like, wait, what? And it goes in. I love him. Uh, But yeah, the Suns, as Jake said, get that done. So a chance tonight for the Heat and the Lakers at home to go up 3-1. Major League Baseball from over the weekend. White Sox absolutely dominated the Reds yesterday. Cubs lost in 14. What else? My athletics are horrific. Uh, Cute fella. Did you mention that? Your guys' teams win? Um, my buddy Paul the Mailman, Paul Hurley, went down. He's a diehard Braves fan. Went down for the entire weekend, said it was fantastic. Braves and Orioles. Said there were a lot of cute fellow fans there, but the Braves won yesterday 3-2. Uh, Cardinals doubled up the Tigers 12-6. That snaps an eight-game losing streak for the Cardinals. Is that right? Eight-game losing streak? It's no. the best eight-game losing streak ever. Though. It's the smartest eight-game mm-hmm. losing streak of all time. When they were bunting down three, they knew what they were doing in the crowd. And now, they, now they've moved Wilson Contreras that they just paid a bunch of money all for right. from catcher to DH slash outfield. That's a wise decision. It's a smart move. Mm-hmm. And those that know baseball understand. Clearly. I mean, that's been the best aspect of the Reds season so far has been the Cardinals. <laughs> Literally. Smartest fans of baseball. And maybe for the Cubs, the best aspect has been the White Sox season. Hey. Hey, White Sox are doing all right. Uh, won a couple. Indianapolis Indians still won a dozen under five hundred though. Five in a row. Uh, no games at Victory Field this week though. At St. Paul, next home game coming up May sixteenth. We talked about it with Marcus Erickson just a few minutes ago. It was Max Verstappen winning the Miami F one race, the Glitz and the Glamour pre race. We got to play the Paulo Boncaro audio. By the way, I was planning to. Um, I'm, I actually just happened to be flipping through and got there as Martin Brundle was making his way around the uh, pre-race uh, whatever you call it the grid walk or the grid talk 
it is so awkward and funny at the same time. He's like, oh, there's Tom Cruise. I was told I can't talk to Tom Cruise. So we'll so we'll just move on. That's beautiful. Then he's trying to flag down Roger Federer. He's got some dude that's trying to, you oh, know, run Jackie after Stewart. Federer. Yeah, <laughs> Jackie Stewart. Trying to run after Federer. Federer's like security teams, like pushing them away. Jackie is- Stewart's running around like, ah, excuse me. I've got the, I, you know, I got to find Roger Federer. Like, you know. You know, Tom Cruise's PR team said to Marty Brundle. Well, F. <laughs> I thought Boncaro handled it pretty well. He did. And the Mike, he stopped Michael Andretti. Michael Andretti seems very confident about Andretti getting into F1. 2025. He says he'll find out in July. But it would be for 2025. I'm, I hope that happens. I mean, that's why they're building a big complex right up in Fishers. He's like, oh, yeah, we're already working the, on the it. The runway of the airport right there, yeah. So, obviously, that'll be something to watch uh, coming up. All right, Doug Bowles, he's going to... why did you close all the blinds but the one that hits Kevin and I? What are you talking about? I didn't touch any blinds today. And then there's clearly... There's three, and there's one closed. That's not all of them. The one that's closed is the one that protects you. The other two are wide open, and Kevin and I are over here just baking and roasting. That one was closed when I walked in. We need to have a meeting about thoughtfulness and empathy. Let's do that, then. Let's have a meeting. Thanks, Mom. All right, uh, Doug Bowles joins us next. Another good-looking morning here in Indianapolis. Although yesterday, I guess, wasn't really that. God, there's a ton of thunder. Saturday night into Sunday morning, but temp's supposed to be pretty good all week long. We'll have Doug Bowles join us. I have not looked as far ahead to Saturday. Jake, have you taken a gander? At, I'd assume the walk-up attendance would be pretty important for Saturday's race. Yeah, for sure it is. And, you know, I'm going to go back to if – if you are someone with smaller children that you want to introduce to the Speedway, I do think that the Grand Prix is a great opportunity to do it because it's a little more open. There's no, it's not as crowded. It's a lot more family. You know, you can go to the viewing mounds with kids, things like that. Um, I'm looking at the forecast here for Saturday, 30% chance of rain, high of 83. I, I think every day this time of year is 30% chance of rain, right? Yeah, something I've thought about is – Potentially bringing the crew out for Saturday. 3.30 green flag. And then Sunday we'll get practice and um, quals as well coming up. So Doug Bull is going to join us here in a few. Um, Have you been to the Grand Prix, Kevin? Yeah, I remember I told the story that one time about how freezing it was. Then we saw Ellie Golding and she just just threw up the white flag after about five or six songs. That's right. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Sickers guest line, he is the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I have to say, Doug Bowles, one of the highlights this year for me, because it's always a cool and fun event. But it was pretty cool for me once we got back running again or walking or whatever pace we were doing to turn around to Motman. And I said, hey, man, how many people can say that they've gotten their picture taken kissing the bricks by the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway who wasted no time hopping over the wall when we ran into you during the many years, standing right there on the start finish, and you and I made eye contact and said, hey, what's up? And we, you know, two minutes of, of or two seconds of greeting, and you said, hey, you need a picture? Yeah. And you hopped right over the wall. It's pretty awesome, man. It's a fun time on Saturday. Yeah, I had a great time Saturday. I started out early in the morning. I got to wave the green flag to get the 5K going, so I was down there about 5.30 hanging out with folks. And then uh, once uh, once the 5K got going, I ran over to the finish because my nephew actually won the 5K, which was cool. I saw that. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And then uh, 
And then I ran back to the, I didn't run, I drove to the racetrack and stood on the wall there at start finish line and yelled and screamed and encouraged people as they came through. And you were one of those folks that came through. So we jumped off the wall and got you a shot uh, right there at the Yard of Bricks, which was fun. It's a great event, man. And it's such a cool way to kick off the month, Doug. And, and I think the thing that I love about it is, you know, here we are now, right? I mean, the the wait's over. Yes, I know May 1st, we say May is here. But now things really start to kick into gear. So take me through this week at IMS, what you're doing in preparation, and then what people can look forward to this weekend. Well, for me right now, I've been out at the racetrack since about 6 this morning in a pair of uh, yucky old pants and a T-shirt getting my camper set up because this will be my home for a lot of the month of May. So hopefully get that done here in the next 25 minutes or so, but we're uh, just in preparation mode for sure, making sure curbs are painted, you know, all of our tire wall, all the tire wall covers, you know, just making sure we're we're buttoned up, get the grass going. We've got a lot of sod that we put down over the last uh, several weeks, so just making sure we get enough water on that because that's going to soon get cars and people on top of it, uh, but really just getting getting everything pre- prepared to start moving uh, transporters in and teams in. We got the first, the first test actually on... Uh, on Thursday when the uh, the cars and the drivers that want to be in the NTT IndyCar Series will be out here testing before we go open to the public on Friday. He's Doug Bowles, president of Speedway. Join us every Monday here during the month of May. Doug, I, I probably asked this question because of my golf background, but the Masters and Augusta National, just the whole aura of that place um, is always fascinating to me and how there's so much of that place that literally doesn't get touched the other 51 weeks out of the year. And I know that you guys hold other events, of course, but I'm curious, like, how much of the property would you say is only focused for the 500? Well, there's a significant part that's only for the 500, and some of it really only for race day. If you think about, you know, turn three, that area really only gets used on race day. So so we uh, have a significant portion of it. They're only used for the Indy 500 race day. Um, you know, everything on the front stretch, um, inside, you know, inside turn one, that whole area is used really all year long. And then uh, a variety of it's only used a handful of days. So turn four, for example, doesn't get a lot of, activity all year turn two gets even less and then turn three like i said is this really used for race day so we we structure the way we winterize things as well as the way we bring them out of the winter based on how how useful they are during the rest of the year for example we'll start winterizing in june the areas in turn three that we're not going to probably use again until next may so Mm -hmm. so that that's an all-year process getting ready for indiana winter here Doug, a couple of things I wanted to go over, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. Doug Bowles is our guest, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, if you don't know this answer off the top of your head, then can you let me know where people will be able to find this information? And the first one, which is a big one, and I know you know it's a big one, um, what is the the size limitation for people with coolers? Because I'm going to mention this like 50 yeah. times between now and race day. So it's 14 by 14 by 18. So uh, most, you know, you, most coolers fit inside that dimension. So, so 14 by 14 by 18 um, is really the size you're looking for when you come in. You know, we announced uh, Friday that when everybody comes in through any of our pedestrian gates this year for the first time ever, you'll actually walk through a metal detector. It's called open gate system. We're excited about it because you don't have to open your coolers. You don't have to take anything out of your pockets. You can just walk right through. So just as long as the cooler is that size, you should be in pretty good shape. And and cans inside coolers don't uh, don't trigger the don't trigger the uh, metal detectors. Um, you know, obviously other things will, uh, but uh, fourteen by fourteen by eighteen, and you'll be in good shape. 
Okay, and then the um, the other question was, in terms of tickets, and my apologies if you already mentioned this, are, because people ask me this all the time, Doug, and I'm sure they do you as well. Hey, how can I get tickets? Are there still tickets available to buy from the IMS ticket office? Yeah, there's still tickets available from, from IMS ticket office. Uh, and it's just IMS.com or 317-492-8500 if you want to talk to a live person. Um, but they're... Uh, <laughs> They're diminishing by the day, and you know if you want to, if you know you're coming and you want good seats and you don't want to pay secondary ticket pricing, uh, my suggestion is you uh, you get online and buy them today. Speaking of secondary ticket pricing, we just learned uh, last week we've had a couple customers come in with parking passes that they purchased on the secondary market that have been counterfeited. So we're encouraging people not to buy any parking passes on uh, the secondary ticket market because there's definitely someone out there who is making counterfeited parking passes. Uh, we're getting folks, that it, and they look like them, actually, when you get them. So if you bought something on a secondary market that's a parking pass and you want to you want to validate whether or not it's real, please call the ticket office. And then in the meantime, just don't buy parking passes online. Um, Doug, over the weekend, Formula One started using, it was brought to my attention, I'm sure it was to you as well, the greatest spectacle in motorsports, they were calling it. Did that raise the ears of people at so, 16th and Georgetown? Yeah, yeah. They actually started using that. Um, they actually started using that um, earlier, and we actually reached out to our friends at, For- at Liberty and at Formula One, and they agreed not to use it. Uh, and it was really more specific related to, to Vegas where we had the problem. So this is the first time we've heard it related to Miami, so we will definitely be calling our friends there again. And, and they've agreed that it is our IP and that they, that they aren't going to use it. So I'm not sure exactly how it got... I, I heard it was used in uh, in the pre-race. A couple of folks actually mentioned it, so I, I haven't seen it in their marketing materials, which they've agreed uh, isn't there isn't their mark, and they leave it alone. So we're, we'll follow up this week and make sure they if they want to. I'm excited that F one's here, but go make you know go build your own IP, go go build your own 114 years of of existence, and not steal ours. Uh, Doug Bowles, president of Speedway, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Doug, any changes um, pre-race, whether it's like order of activities or, you know, for the most part, I feel like over the last few years we've been, you know, pretty pretty consistent. But anything for the 500 pre-race that will be different this year? No, I think we're going to be pretty much the same. I mean, that's part of what everybody expects when they come in. They want that pre-race to be that cadence uh, that they've expected for quite a long time. We've messed with things occasionally here and there, like we'll we'll move a song around or, you know, um, try and try and change a little bit of it. But for the most part, it's all sort of the, the same cadence that folks have, the folks have been just used to for several years. And, and we're going to keep it that way. I mean, it's kind of what makes us special. And then green flag, what 12, is it like 1240 ish now? 12, 1240 ish. Okay. And then, uh, what's next on our announcement calendar? I mean, obviously you got a lot of things road course this week, but what should we be looking for next week from an announcement standpoint? <laughs> Uh, well, we haven't talked about who our Grand Marshal is going to be yet. That'll be coming up. Uh, Pace Car, um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say this, but Pace Car will get announced tomorrow. Um, so we start working through, uh, you know, get start working through a lot of those those items here uh, coming up pretty soon. You want to give us a hint on the Pace Car? Well, it's going to be a Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the human being uh, inside. Uh, we're not going to do. Uh, we'll do Pace Car driver later. Um, okay, but just t- tomorrow it's just Pace Car. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, Doug Bowles is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, who is currently uh, pitching a tent, right? Right in the infield. Is that right, Doug? Just putting a tent yeah, up? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I'm just 
getting all set up. It's a camper. It's not a tent, um, but it's certainly not a it's not a driver motorhome. I bring the driver owner a lot uh, uh, value down, and I keep waiting for the homeowners association to have a, that's right to have a meeting to figure out how to kick kick Doug, Doug and Beth Foles bringing down the, the property the value of the neighborhood. <laughs> um, let me ask you this before we let you go, Doug, and I appreciate your time. But it, when you look back, like each year. If you look back at, at fan preparation for the Indianapolis 500, what's the one thing that you think, you know what, that that's the one area that we need to do a better job of getting the fan educated on coming into it to make for a better experience for everybody? Is there one area that you wish people would be more aware of to prepare themselves for getting to be able to experience fully the race itself? No, I think the biggest thing for me is just making sure that, that they're – prepared for the second largest city in the state of Indiana to literally be inside the racetrack. And that does present traffic problems that we just can't solve. You know, we do the best we can last year. There are some issues that were self-inflicted that I think will, that will fix, especially on the inbound side. But if you're in the middle of the epicenter, people love to park in the infield, but if you park in the in- the closer you park to the speedway, the longer it will take you to get out. It's just a factor of 325,000 people leaving at the, leaving at the same time. And, and when you're in the center, it's the hardest to get out. So just patience is the biggest thing I remind people and know that we're doing everything we can to make it as quick as possible. But all it really takes is one accident at one intersection somewhere, and that backs up the entire system. It just bleeds through the system. And there's nothing you can do about it. A few years ago when we got people out early, or when the race was over and the, and lightning came, when lightning comes, all the police officers have to get in their car, and they're in their car for twenty or thirty minutes, and that that also backs things up. So it's just it's really difficult to make traffic work, and uh, I know when you're sitting in your car, it's really frustrating, and 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 uh, just know that uh, we're on the ninth floor of the pagoda doing everything we can to work with law enforcement to make it easy. But patience is the biggest thing I ask. Each time we have you, Doug, people text me with questions for you, and a lot of them are good questions, so I, did, I probably should squeeze this last one in since we're coming up sure. on the Grand Prix. Uh, Jake, can you please ask Doug if they're going to allow RV camping inside the track for the Grand Prix this year? <laughs> they, we are not for this year. Now, the good news is I think for next year we will have it back. So our first real opportunity to park to camp in the infield this year is going to be our new camping lot inside turn four that we're putting together uh, and we'll debut it for the IMSA race in September. But my guess is for next year, we would then, we would then allow that for, for fans for the grand prix. It'll, it'll host about 160 RVs slash campers inside turn four, a new spectator mound in there, which will make it great as well as a new video board uh, that'll, that'll play to the folks that sit on the spectator mound at the, at the chicane, but also for everybody in the camping lot. So fingers crossed, if everything goes well in September, we'll be offering that for the 2024 Grand Prix. All right, Doug, I assume plenty of walk-ups. You, you will welcome uh, coming up Friday and Saturday. Absolutely. You know, for the most part, every day walk-up is, is an option. I, I'm concerned about race day for this year's 500, so if you're planning on going, I'd, I'd encourage that you, you get those tickets. But everything else, if you get up one morning and say, hey, I want to come to Speedway, and the other thing to remember with a GA ticket, any, anybody under 15, uh, 15 and under, uh, actually get in free so if you get up in the morning you want to bring the kids to the to a practice or even to the gmr grand prix come grab a ga ticket and bring a whole carload of 15 and unders and they're free again temperature wise looks outstanding coming up this weekend hopefully we'll dodge the rain and everything will go off without a glitch doug good luck with Although the camper last year the, last year the rain was great the rain made yeah, the race it was fantastic. some that's great right. drama that's the, beauty, that's the beauty of the gmr grand prix is we can run in the rain and last year the, the rain the, the dry to rain back to dry back to rain made for a fantastic race and the, and uh so if it's going to rain any day, it can rain. That's the that's the day I'm okay with it.
Yeah, great, great theater and entertainment last year at the Grand Prix. All right, uh, good luck finishing everything camper-wise, and we'll talk to you next Monday. All right, thanks so much, guys. See That's you. Doug Bowles right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Yeah, just an extremely entertaining race. Jake, I know we've talked about it. It was difficult for you to call last year, but the rain certainly uh, provided just unbelievable strategies and this tire versus that tire and... Uh, it, it was yeah. great theater. I remember it was so windy up there. That's that is the only time for the GMR Grand Prix for that particular race. I was atop the perch in turn two, which is atop the the Southeast Vista. And I remember the first year that we did MotoGP was when one of the bands of Hurricane Ike came through, and it was super windy. They they called the race like two laps early. And Bob Jenkins, the late great Bob Jenkins, was a top turn two, and I remember him saying. I've seen enough, and I'm coming down. <laughs> and and we all kind of chuckled at it. And I'll tell you what, I was up there. That's the only time I've ever thought to myself, I wonder if I need to tell them that I'm coming down because it was so windy and wet. But it was fun to watch. I mean, it, and, and the wind is not necessarily affecting the cars down that low. You're just up so high, right? Uh, venture a guess to a pace car driver. <laughs> driver? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no knowledge, obviously, but I would imagine that it is somebody that is in some way, shape, or form affiliated or connected to NBC. Um, Sarah Fisher last year, right? Danica the year before. Is that right? That that may be right. Um, the pace car, I think, will be a Chevy Corvette. Although the Camaro, they are... I can't imagine they would do Camaro because Camaro, they've announced they're no longer keeping in production. So I would imagine it'd be a Corvette unless there's some sort of a top-line Chevy. Uh, Motman, by the way, when we drove down in the Mini, was driving a Chevy. Uh, he has one of the new top-of-the-line Silverados. Have you seen those things? No. It's called like, I mean, the inside of it, like the, it doesn't have a rear view mirror. It has, it's nothing but a like a TV screen of everything around Jeez, you. Oh, it was, gosh. it was unbelievable. Mark, but it won't be a Silverado. for the road trips with how the much girls. That, how much of that did you pay for, basically, with your procedure? <laughs> <laughs> a fifth of it, yeah. Um, but I would say, now, pace car, that's a good question, Kevin. We should all like pick who we think the pace car driver would be. Is that usually the last announcement? I feel like one it, of the last, that a yeah. green flag. Um, I'll go with, boy, that's a really good question. Are, are we there with Tyrese Halliburton yet? Victor Oladipo did in 2018, I mean, right? Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I thought Richardson but, but more thing. for like this weekend maybe. The, yeah, the the thing about the 500 with the pace car driver, they do want somebody, they kind of got away from this, but I think they've gotten back... I do think that Roger Penske, it is important to him to have somebody that either A, has driving experience, or B, has the willingness and the time to go through the training to drive it. Tony Stewart? Tony Stewart is a a really good call. (coughs) That would make sense. Um, You know, I'm not going to say any names. But there is one person who, when they were doing kind of the rotation of celebrity pace car drivers, that apparently was a complete diva about having to, to undergo the training of it and learning how to do it. I mean, you know, they got to come out there for a couple hours on, I think it's either Thursday or Saturday beforehand. And there was one guy who apparently was a total diva and just really difficult to deal with. And a lot of the support staff was just like, yeah, we're good. Um, he's used to being on two wheels and not four. 
transportations in his background. That's right. Um, I was going to say Vin Diesel because the new Fast and Furious movie comes out right around then, and that's an NBC Universal movie. Well, that's, but, probably then a that's good not guess. a bad call, honestly. They have used people from This Is Us and those types Correct. of shows. I mean, that's, there's do. usually a tie-in from an NBC standpoint, or yeah. Universal, or you know, Paramount, or whatever. Yeah, qualifying not this weekend, but next weekend, same format from last year. We will bump one car, and then it'll be the Fast Twelve into the fast six so basically saturday of qualifying which again is a week from saturday you'll slot spots what is that 13 to 30 if my math is correct on that 13 to 30 that's correct and then you'll go four for three to round out the last row on sunday and then obviously you'll do the fast 12 for rows one two three and four. Uh, Marcus Erickson at 8 o'clock. Doug Bowles right there. Those will be both up on the podcast. As Mark mentioned earlier in the show, Elio Castroneves will join us tomorrow. Anybody else on the driver front this week, Mark? Or? Uh, this week, no. Still working out some details, but like I said, after that, we've got pretty much a driver every every show. I love it. Um, we'll get back on the Colts conversation here on a really nice start to this Monday in Indy. Kevin, it was a redemption weekend for... Formula One broadcasters, right? <laughs> yeah, I just happened to be flipping through the channels. I think the kids maybe had just gone down for a nap, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'll see if the F1 race has started yet. And sure enough, I flip over there, and there's our guy, Martin Brundle, going up and down the grid, which, you know, for how, like, buttoned up F1 is, Jake, I always feel like that part of the pre-race is chaotic, entertaining, and it almost has the feel of like high school student television. That's a good way of saying it. It's like an organized <laughs> chaos, right? Yeah, and like you can debate how organizational it, it even is. So for those unfamiliar with this, Martin Brundle, who I, I don't know, Jake, you would know his history better than I, but he's been doing this for several years, right? Yeah. And basically he goes up and down the grid before the race is about to start and just randomly plucks out the celebrities that are um on the grid and asks them hey who do you like today what do you think you know blah 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 and it's in a very like pretty blunt manner uh, we obviously know what happened last year when he mistakenly thought paulo boncaro at what what is paulo six nine and two thirty that he thought was patrick mahomes and thank you that's how he responded once paulo boncaro informed him that he was not patrick mahomes uh, but this year i thought boncaro handled it very well in their reintroduction at the Miami Grand Prix. Mark, do you have that clip? Mm-hmm. So this was Martin Brundle running into Paolo Banquero, the Magic Rookie of the Year, yesterday. Thank you, Simon. I found Paolo Banquero, who I found him last year. I just didn't get the name right in the beginning. But what a year you've had since you made me infamous. It's been a hell of a year, and I'm honored that you know my name now, man. It's been a hell of a year, and you're great at what you do. That's very kind of you. Thank you. So, uh, uh, what, what, explain the feeling down here compared to to what you do in terms of the atmosphere. Yeah, man, it's, a, it's just a rush being here. Everyone looking over, all these celebrities walking the track, and then that was basically it, right? But um, uh, nice Carol redemption story, well. though. Nice redemption. It, I, I'm, it was good on both of them. I mean, he admitted it. Like the only thing, again. He's excused for not recognizing him a year ago. It was the whatever that was the the real kicker. Whatever, just unbelievable. I think reaction. he's infamous because we play it all the time. That might That's be right. why he might be referring to that that middle mid market show in Indianapolis keeps playing my whatever. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> it was great. I mean, there was one moment where 
You know, oh, there's Tom Cruise. I, I, I'm not allowed to talk to him. I was told that I could not talk to him. I mean, he's just like fly by the seat of his pants in that. It's beautiful. That would be my dream job doing. I was going to say, can like we get that. you doing that? Oh, that'd be that'd be great. I would Jake love would it. Bust out the accents left and right, though. They're like, all right, we need to go to commercial. Yeah, that'd be great. You do have some TV history, right? From a racing standpoint, didn't you do um, oh, Andy Lights at some point? Booth's yeah, dad was... just recently, right? On TV. What's that? Booth's dad. On yeah, TV. Saturday I was on Pet Pals TV with Booth. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I did. Well, I anchored the Indy Lights, as it was known then, broadcast, and also did pits for Indy Lights broadcast for several years. Yeah. Um, do we get an Indy Lights race coming up on Carb Day? No. They used to always been a yeah, great the, race. The Freedom 100 is, they're not doing. I don't know if that will eventually be revisited or not, to be honest with you. Because it was a great race, and I think people loved it. I think it was a great chance for, for some of those young guys to kind of introduce them. You know, Joseph Newgarden won it. Ed Carpenter won it one year. I mean, it was a good way to for people great to get finishes. introduced to, no doubt, to those drivers. I saw Ron in the YouTube chat ask what days we will be out there. Is it just carb day for us? Break out the... Well, the Coors Banquets, but it's got to be PBR now, right? Well, I, I don't know. I feel like a good beer for me on Carb Day is Keystone Light. Oh, okay. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but those cans are lined like a bottle. Gets me back to my college days. No bitter face. <laughs> Did you drink a lot of Keystone Light in college? Oh, sure. Okay. And then if I were Michael Shank, I'd go Bush Light, right? Bush Light's a good one, yep. Michael Shank, of course, the owner of uh, for Elio, and Elio won his four. Speaking of Elio, he will join us tomorrow when we get back uh, here in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll get back into the Colts conversation. Take your calls as well. See, we got a couple callers um, that we will bring on. Kevin and Query here on a nice start to this Monday in Indy. 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. My birthday. Not really. My birthday September 3rd, but it's 9.03 in Indianapolis. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowe and the other voice you hear that just gave me a very incredulous look like, mark dyke as well I sworn we just had that 50th birthday <laughs> that's right you guys knocked that out i appreciated that um lot to talk about month of may although what happened it was like really sunny this morning what just happened oh it's supposed to rain quite a bit i think most of the afternoon really mm-hmm. okay temps least, are great though my weather app says so it was great weather uh over the weekend colts rookie minicamp i was out there Friday and Saturday. You brought this up a little bit earlier in the show, Jake, in relation to Anthony Richardson. You know, and watching whatever, 30-some Colts quarterbacks over the last dozen years, I don't think I've ever seen one in between reps like mimic his motion, uh, take mental reps, if you will, to the degree that Richardson does, or at least was doing it this weekend. And I do think this is part of kind of the bigger picture with him and coming out of Florida, the changes that need to be made to his accuracy, the improvements there, all of that. I do think a big part of what he is trying to do right now and the goal over all this practice time leading into the season will be, can you take the changes that need to be made? And he mentioned the phrase kind of speeding up footwork as something that that, that has a lot of focus. Can you take those changes and try to get to a point where come September, whenever you decide Anthony Richardson is ready to play, those changes are no longer robotic. And I think we all can probably speak to it at some level, not to this degree, but whether you play, you know, whether it's baseball or whether it's a 10, you know, I'm thinking more kind of like stick and ball sports. But I think at some point, we all have done something physically where you then have to retrain your body to do it in a different manner. Right. And the question becomes... 
when or ever does that become just natural to you or, or not as robotic, not as thinking as much, not as kind of like just like stiff almost as you're doing those things. I think that is a big part of what Richardson is trying to achieve right now because there are moments where he looks supernatural and boy, he can flash the big arm and all of that and there is just an innate athletic ability he clearly has. But the question becomes, especially on the shorter throws, can he get away from being robotic can he drill these new fundamentals into him and does that become a little bit seamless at some point yeah i think that kevin bad analogy old analogy but one i always go to i always say that rick smiths when he was drafted out of marist and played for the pacers steve stepanovich got hurt in smith's rookie year and it accelerated his timeline where he had to play he couldn't just i don't know that that was the design for him that year but he was put out there and you could see Kevin the first 20 games that Rick Smith was on the floor you could see the gears turning in his head the ball would go into him and he's thinking through what he needs to do and that first year of Stepanovich getting hurt probably turned out to be the best thing for him because then things became instinctive and you could see then that when he would get the ball, you know, he by the time, granted, it's five years later, but like when you look at those, the prime Pacer years, Smith was a darn good player and good weapon because he got the ball. You know, there was no thinking it through, and that's why I think Kevin that Richardson it may be in the Colts' best interest yes. to just throw him out there. Yeah, I, I think that example is perfect, Jake. Because Jake, who was guarding him in those moments? It wasn't insert Pacers assistant with a big old pad in practice. Correct. It was someone that was unpredictable behind him that was an NBA level athlete and you can't script that and again I would argue a quarterback in practice is much different than a post player in a game because it is a different color jersey. You can get hit. This is NFL level speed for all those reasons. I think it's really important to play him early on. Um, We talked about it earlier in the show but Josh Downs is absolutely outstanding this weekend and I also want to preface Jake as he should be like when you look at Josh Downs's resume honestly just compared to his other draft picks but when you look at his resume compared to the other draft picks he is the closest thing you got to all-american type of production at North Carolina plus I think something worth pointing out you know the Colts drafted three cornerbacks Juju Brents out of Warren Central, the second-round pick, he's not going to participate this spring due to a wrist injury. So he's not on the field right now. The other two, Darius Rush in round five out of uh, South Carolina and Jalen Jones in round seven out of Texas A&M, they both are outside corners. So they're not guarding Josh Downs as much in that slot. So Josh Downs is just feasting on you know guys that honestly won't even sniff making an NFL roster. But... You know, Shane Steichen was pretty clear over the weekend that this is a guy that just has a pretty natural savviness as a route runner and a great feel for the game. And I think at times when you're in that slot role and it's a confined space in the short areas of the field, that is a really, really critical component to making you an elite slot player because things are so sudden, things are so instinctual in that. And just watching Downs catch the football... You're just like, that dude knows what he's doing. If Downs is the player that he is expected to be, 
Okay, Kevin, like if he if if Downs is able to do at the professional level what he was able to do at the college level. And if Downs has that same style of play, do you think it's off base for me to say that he is a kind of player that the Colts have not had for a while? Oh, not at all. You know what I mean? Just a, a guy that... They haven't had it, and they've got tormented by those guys. You know, if you look at some of the players they've had, it's really funny because we became accustomed around here to think of great receivers as strictly your Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrisons, you know, your big play home run guys. Reggie Wayne became a very good possession receiver at the end of his career. It extended him a couple of years. But... You know, their most reliable receiver in the end of the luck era, obviously T.Y. Hilton was his home run guy. But Kevin, Zach Pascal was a really important piece for them. You know, guys that like they kind of had written off, but why is that? Because they were reliable, like possession type guys. Just bailout guys. They don't have bailout receivers. They don't have receivers and they don't have receivers that, like, you know when, when all hell's breaking loose, you find them on the field, they're going to get the ball, and they're going to – Pittman's done a nice job with that. But he is – his role is should be more than that. Well, I, I think the other thing, too, about Downs you have to remember is his strength, the third and five move the chain sort of catches, that's Anthony Richardson's weakness. Anthony Richardson flashed the big arm, especially on Saturday, but he flashed the big arm this, this weekend. I mean, I think there's little doubt to Anthony Richardson being a successful deep ball thrower here in the NFL. So you're not as worried as much about that. Where you have concern is just kind of the methodical nature to a passing offense. And can you kind of death by a thousand paper cuts? Because the trend in today's NFL has turned over the past few years is, you know, you're, I don't know, maybe the Anthony Richardson element of him as a runner might change how defenses decide to guard him. But you see a lot more teams that say, especially when you play a team like Kansas City, hey, we're going to keep the safeties way back and we're going to keep everything in front of us because we feel like uh, over time you're going to have a drop, you're going to have a penalty, you're going to have a whatever, a miss something, and we'll get off the field. So for Downs' strength to be in that short area, the 0 to kind of 10 yards, and Richardson for that to be his weakness, theoretically the hope there is that guy can help out your quarterback and making some of the right reads, some of the difficult catches, those sorts of things. And again, it was one practice, and these two should be ahead of everybody else on the field. But in particular on Friday, it was consistent throw, catch, anytime Richardson looked down's way. How much did Philadelphia last year incorporate throws out of the backfield? I, I, I don't know, and I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but I mean, is that... You mean like trick plays? No, just, I, I mean, literally using a tailback as and out of the backfield receiver. Oh, um I think they used multiple running backs. You know, I know in the Super Bowl for example, I think Kenneth Gainwell was big. Um so yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And they drafted Chad Hull the Colts or uh, Chad Hull, uh, Evan Hull out of uh, Northwestern and we had Pat Fitzgerald on last week to talk about it. I do think a third down back um is something that you're going to see a little bit more utilized. And in Downs and Isaiah McKenzie, you have guys that 
you know, from a local comparison, think a little bit of like Rondell Moore. Just kind of those guys you just throw the quick hitter to, and then boom, they can hopefully make a play for you after the catch. Yeah, Rondell Moore would be. You know, he he actually has played when healthy. He's played pretty well, right? Um, yeah, I just think the win healthy has been an issue, right? For him, uh, I know Mario wanted to talk about Anthony Richardson and when he should get on the field. What's up, Mario? Yeah, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good. I um about ninety percent feel like Richardson um, should start giving the, the backup with the, with the first two games. If we get a lead, then we put Richardson in there. But I just I hate to see him play real bad. I mean, definitely play for sure by the fourth game. Definitely should be in there by the fourth, third, fourth game. But I, I think maybe the first two. I know the home opener, the, the home player would love to see Richard in there. But I just think give him a little time to kind of see the game and sideline a little bit. And then bring him That's my opinion. I, I think a lot of it Appreciate just depends it, on where they are, right, Kevin? I mean, if they. Should the schedule matter? If they get at New England That's coming up in too. week one on Thursday night, is there fear of look what Belichick does against rookie quarterbacks? I think for me, the bigger fear, and I don't know, it's probably different player to player, situation to situation, but I really do believe this. And I'm sure there's somebody that has some sort of a statistical breakdown of cybermetrics that would prove this wrong. I don't know. But I really do believe that there is a window of time for a young quarterback. For some guys, it might be longer than others. For Peyton Manning, it was 18 games. For you know, for Jamarcus Russell, it was six games. For David Carr, it was 20 games. But there's a window of time, Kevin, where if it doesn't stick, it's never going to. And I don't know how you determine the athletic and the intellectual resiliency of a quarterback on how long that window is. But I do think that there is a window that if you eventually you reach the point of no return. So you have to make sure that you're putting them out there where there are little things to be gained each time they're out there or else you you cross that dangerous threshold. Yeah, I have heard some people say, um, to Mario's point, you know, start Menchu, bring Richardson in in those like uh, specific packages. You know, kind of catered his strengths. Red zone, short yardage, boom, here comes Richardson out of the field. He's a weapon for you in those areas. It's better than not playing, but I would like to see him out on the field where you put him in more uncomfortable situations. You know, short yardage and zone reads and those things, he's naturally, like I'm not worried about him at all in any of that stuff. So um, that's where I'd be more open-minded to, again, playing him early, I think Shane Sykin can cater a very specific game plan to, okay, Anthony, what do you feel confident in? What do we feel confident in? It's early in the season. You're going to have an unpredictable element to your offense anyways. You don't need to throw the whole playbook at him. Um, and I just – I think we don't realize at times how little 13 games of experience truly is. You know, I brought it up late last week. Patrick Mahomes sat as a rookie – Patrick Mahomes played 32 games at Texas Tech. Right. 32 games compared to 13 games for Anthony Richardson. So Mahomes sitting, to me, is a far different animal when he has more than double the amount of college reps than Richardson does 
walking into the NFL. I will say one thing. Juju Brents, I know he wasn't um, out on the field, but, boy, Jake, you take one look at him and you just think, that is a Seattle cornerback. That dude is long, long. He is legit 6'3". And I do think Gus Bradley, A, wants that body type, and do we see the Colts maybe do some a little bit more pressing? That's the antithesis of of a Bill Pullian corner, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the Tyrone Pools of the world. Sure, sure. Yeah, size is is a much bigger requirement now for Gus Bradley with those corners. Um, I know uh, Matthew wanted to call in and ask about the 34 cars. And Jake, if I'm not mistaken, you and Matthew crossed paths over the weekend, right? That is correct. Had lunch together on Saturday after the mini. What's up, Matthew? How was Indy? Good morning, guys. Indy was great. So you made it back in one piece. Yeah, just barely. Back in Maine. Your your favorite part of your trip to Indy, minus of course, lunch with Jake. Uh, uh that's so tough to pick. I think it's a tie between touring Lucas Oil Stadium and seeing the IMS racetrack. Mm. Two pretty good answers there. Both Indy. both pale in comparison to lunch with me. Correct. Of course. <laughs> In my opinion, that sucked. Well, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know if Matthew meant that. So. Just said I that, too. So I think, think appease you there. Matthew, you had a question about the 500 coming up? Yes. Because um, I'm going to feel sad that someone's going to get bummed. Can't we just have 34 cars? No. Understood. Fair point. And probably... Um, well, there goes you, number one on the lunch trip after sentiment. you just debunk that. Thank you, Matthew, for Matthew, the call. Here is, and Matthew, as, and I mean this in a good way, not a bad way at all. Matthew is a, a relatively newer Indy fan, IndyCar fan. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the fact that it's 33 starting cars, 11 rows of three, that has become one of the great traditions of the event itself. And. You know, that goes back to the years when in 1984 had the highest number of entrants. I believe it was 112 entrants. Not all of those made a qualifying effort. But it was 112 entrants. I think like 74 attempted to qualify or somewhere in there. I'd I'd have to look that up. But um, the drama of bump day is a huge part of what made the Indianapolis 500 what it is. And by that, I mean... The rules were simple. So long as you were under certain specifications of like the size and weight of a car, the engine block you used, the downforce you used, the wings you used, the placement of the engine, none of it mattered so long as you were one of the 33 fastest qualifying attempts. And the evolution of speed, technology, has diluted a lot of that because now basically a lot of the stuff is computerized you don't have people that are sitting in the lab all for 11 months to develop cars just to try to win indy it was at one time the ultimate showcase of the innovation of the automobile and so as that innovation has advanced through computer technology the reality is the variation of that innovation from year to year has kind of gone away You're running the same chassis as everyone else. You're running the same chassis for multiple years and the same engine component for the most part as everyone else for multiple years. So the one true tradition of it all that maintains is you have to be one of the 33 fastest. And unfortunately, if that means 34, it means one is left out. There have been exceptions to that, obviously, in unique circumstances over the last 
50 years. But by and large, that's the one tradition that people want to still hang their hat on the most. You have to be one of the 33 fastest and the drama that goes into being potentially bumped is a large selling point of the tradition of the race. Mark just sent out a list of drivers when they're going to appear on the show here coming up in the next few weeks. Will Power, May 24th. Jake, I'd be willing to bet if, or I guess when we have Will Power on, asking him about that moment when he went out there, what was it, two years ago, three years ago, on bump day? Right. And hits the wall. Remember that? Yep. Taps the wall in turn two, if I'm not mistaken, and is able to keep it, you know, whatever, on on, on the track the rest of the way around for all four laps and is able to get that car in the field was one of the more nerve-wracking moments of his life. You just look at the emotion from Fernando Alonso not getting in the race a few years ago to Kyle Kaiser getting into the race. Um, it is terrific theater, drama, all of that. It's what makes... I think this event pretty pretty unique, and uh, I am a huge fan. Even if it's just one car, I'm still doing. It. I know there's pain and it, and it hurts, and financially there's a big component to it. But welcome to reality here when it comes to a 33 car field for the 500s. A uh, pop quiz coming up in a few. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change for that. Uh, let's do a morning checkdown. We'll begin with Major League Baseball. Marlins over the Cubs yesterday, 5-4. Other teams of local interest, it was the Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis snapping an eight-game losing streak. They win 12-6. Reds on the short end in a big way against the White Sox, 17-4 for the White Sox. As for Kevin's Oakland Athletics, 5-1 losers to the Kansas City Royals. The Arizona Diamondbacks, 9-8 losers to the Washington Nationals and cute fella. Losing to the Braves, so all of us missed out opportunity to gain ground in our quest for PBR. Indianapolis Indians, by the way, 9-5 over Toledo. Uh, the Indians will not be at home this week, by the way. A rare two-week road trip for them. All right, in the NBA tonight, it's going to be the Heat and the Lakers, both at home. They were dominant, each of them, in Game 3 on Saturday. They will both have an opportunity to go up 3-1 in their respective series. The Knicks trying to even things up, and so are the Warriors. Jake, yesterday you had the 76ers. That that series has been terrific. Um, James Harden uh, hits the float in the lane to force overtime, and then a corner three on a pass out from Joel Embiid. Uh, to take a two-point lead, and Boston does not get a shot off to end OT. So you have Philly tied it up at 2-2. And last night, on and off the floor, Jake, some drama with the Suns evening up at 2-2. Yeah, because not only did Phoenix win at 129-124, and Jokic, I mean, Nikola Jokic with 53 points, 11 rebounds, but an incident with contact with one of the owners for the Phoenix Suns. Will he be, uh, and look kind of like a flop, admittedly? No way. Suspend him. Please. I, if they suspend him, I'll be so mad. And Jokic afterwards was very pointed of like, hey, you know, I thought you are supposed to protect the players, and I thought a fan was touching me. So kind of dicey stuff there. We'll see what it means. But right now, series tied at two games apiece in both of those that we just talked about. 2-1 is the advantage for two different teams in terms of the other 
Conference semifinals. The Heat have a 2-1 lead over the New York Knicks. They look to go up a commanding 3-1 tonight at 7.30 in Miami. And the Lakers hope to do the same over Golden State. That game is a 10 o'clock tip out west. The Lakers are two games to one lead. Uh, Rundown on some other events from the weekend. As a 15-1 favorite, it was Mage. Uh, winning the 149th Kentucky Derby. And Mark, no word yet on Mage in the Preakness? Not yet, no. Uh, two fills, uh, finished second, and then Angel of Empire, third on that one. The Miami F1 race was won by Max Verstappen. I guess some drama in Verstappen going from ninth to first, but no drama at all in Red Bull, winning another, another F1 race. Uh, and Bronny James to USC. Big surprise there, right? By the way, two Phils also finished second and third in the mini marathon on Saturday. In my uh, opinion, that sucked. You know, I, I haven't even explained. I, I knew, no. That was very quick, Mark. Yeah. Garrison Carr, who is a listener of this program, good dude, and a graduate of Loyola, but a huge IU fan, uh, and literally a guy that like 10 years ago, just to, to get in shape, decided to start running. Mm-hmm. Did the mini in an hour and 17 minutes. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, he's like in the top 20 overall for Garrison. Franklin Central grad. Literally just a, just a dude. Just likes to run. It's so where's the two? I, I, am I missing the two Phils? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Phil Smith of Westfield and then Phil Johnson of um, Avon finished second and third. So big surprise. I was they looking were, for like a Sister Jean Loyola reference there with Garrison <laughs> at one point. No. I just, my mind skipped to the fact that Garrison was literally like 20 minutes behind the finisher, which is unbelievable. That's a hell of, hell of an accomplishment. I was yeah. watching, Rosie and I were watching on Saturday morning, they interviewed uh, Anna Rohr, who won the women's race, literally right after she crossed the finish line. Can you imagine? Crazy. She was super, I mean, obviously she's a marathon runner. She was super composed. Went to Notre Dame, Mishawaka product. Uh, she was great. She was like, Pretty composed and could handle herself now, after 13 miles. And This is impressive. So, Motman, there were 14,000 finishers I just read, and I thought it seemed down. I, I'm i used to like 30,000, to be honest with you. Um, but Motman and I were running, and he said, you know, our story of running together has kind of been trumped. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's, there's a guy running in the mini marathon this year who had a heart transplant. And I thought, that's pretty amazing right i mean yeah i would try not to one-up him for next year Well, but then i got to thinking about it and i thought well try going out there with your own bad heart i mean you know what i mean like then come talk to me you know what i mean like i'm running around i got stents in me come talk to me then confront him on the track next year (laughs) have you been on pet pals tv because i have (laughs) a major just an incredible accomplishment not only for that um i don't know if it was a man or woman but that individual who had a heart transplant um, Godspeed, and yeah. that is outstanding. So beyond remarkable, Riyadh. Yeah. Um, speaking of incredible accomplishments, I'd be going five for five on a pop quiz. Uh, Scotty, uh, the difficulty today? Seven. A seven out of ten. In Scotty's term, that is one of the more difficult pop. Scotty quizzes. has a bit of a coach beard from Teddy Lasso feel about out it, there. You? Oh, I can I can see that mustache looks outstanding today, Scotty. Uh, all right, give us a call. Pop quiz coming up next. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Lead. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. I find this very manageable. Scotty begs to differ. Okay, well. Scotty said a seven. We'll just see how it goes here. By the way, it's it's getting a little bit ugly outside, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Told you. Rain in the forecast. Uh, it does sound like some rain potentially today. Temp's great, though. All week long. Uh, again, GMR Grand Prix coming up Saturday afternoon over at IMS, and things will get underway. Oval-wise coming up if, a week from Tuesday. If anybody misses question number one, I, I want them to continue listening to this program, but they'll have to do it on the stream because they're they should be kicked out of the state of Indiana and never allowed to call in again. Gosh, jeez. <laughs> Nothing gets our streaming audience. It's a big, big group, and we appreciate the passion there. Um, yeah, I guess that would be a little offensive to how many <laughs> I mean, times we've mentioned that. More offensive on. than uh, the question last week of name like two IndyCar, <laughs> Indy 500 four-time winners, and we got pulling teeth. The thing that was amazing about that, when we had the caller um, and the question was name three of the four four-time winners, it's one thing to not know to name three of the four, but to pull the name Scott Goodyear out, nothing against Scott Goodyear, who was a great driver and a super guy and, and a big part of racing in many aspects. But if you're going to know the name Scott Goodyear, wouldn't you know A.J. Foyt? You would think. And the guy didn't know Foyt. I, I was like, Anthony Joseph owns a winery. Last name rhymes with Boyt. Uh, Ari Leindyke. Okay, okay. Anyway. I'm a little nervous about number one now. Uh, <laughs> all right, number one through eight, Jake. Uh, we'll go with number one. Fast fingers, Mark Dykton. Alan. What's up, Alan? Hey, good morning, fellas. Alan, who's the greatest Alan athlete of all time? Alan Iverson. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Alan Page? Alan Trammell? Uh, no, those are the two that popped into my head as well. Boy, Alan yeah. Iverson. Gosh, he was tremendous. Great player. Great competitor. Alan, uh, you've called the program before, right? Yes, I have. Uh, have we played Get to Know Your Listener with you? Uh, a little bit. We've had raving success with this. We've had surveys. We did a survey once, and kids in particular love the Get to Know Your Listener. Um, do you have kids, Alan? I do. I have two. Okay. And they're how old? 19 and 17. And the 19-year-old and 17-year-old uh, both in school or one in school, one working? What do we got here? One at University of Cincinnati and one at Hamilton Southeastern. Now, you know, so this is interesting, Alan. I was just talking with somebody about this the other day. The University of Cincinnati did a – it's a unique thing they did, if I'm not mistaken, where they, they offer in-state reciprocity with Hamilton County Schools. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. And that, that was a brilliant move by them because it seems like I'm hearing more and more people whose kids go there, and by and large – People are real happy with it. It's a really good school, and it's kind of a, you know, you're in a city environment. You're not too far from home. It seems like it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, we're very happy with her decision. Yep. Is, is it in the Like, where exactly is it within the city? Just north. North of the city. And it is a state university in Ohio, correct? Yes. Okay, public university. Boy, okay. I, I was thinking to myself, I don't remember anybody that i knew totally. go to cincinnati kelly acres that's it from my graduating class and it was like really and it was like a family school yeah we had several go to xavier and obviously i know that that rivalry is pretty um what is intense. alan what is university of cincinnati's academic forte like they're known exactly for what that's a good question i, I don't i don't know if i know that <laughs> your your child is studying or planning to study what once they get into their upper years sure psychology Okay. Well, they could do a number on this program. Yeah. That's uh, all right. Well, psychologically speaking, if you don't miss, if you miss question number one, Alan, um, then you actually have to go live in Cincinnati for the next three years. Is that fair? Well, I guess. 
It's that easy. I thought you said he'd have to go to every Reds game between now well, and the end of the year. Yeah, that would be equal punishment. All right, here we go. Question number one for you, Alan. Which of these four horses won Saturday's Kentucky Derby? Forte, Angel of Empire, Mage, or Two Fills? Mage. Yeah, see? Yeah. We, we can breathe now? Yes. Uh, Nikola Jokic, Allen scored 53. <laughs> Easy, Mage. That, that's Mage or that's there. Nikola Jokic? Yeah, I was going to say. Oh. It kind of sounded like Jokic at different times last night. Uh, 53 in the Nuggets lost to the Suns last night. It's the fourth highest point total by an active NBA player in a playoff game. Which of the following players has not scored 53 or more points in an NBA playoff game? A, Donovan Mitchell, B, LeBron James, C, Damian Lillard, or D, Jimmy Butler? LeBron James. All right, question three. Jokic recorded his ninth career playoff triple-double in Friday's loss to the Suns. That ties Wilt Chamberlain for the most playoff triple-doubles by a center, and he stands fourth in playoff triple-doubles among active players. Which of the following players does not have more than nine career Playoff triple doubles. James Harden, Draymond Green, LeBron, or Russell Westbrook? Go with Draymond Green. Okay. Number four here, Alan. Which of the following last place teams in Major League Baseball is not at least 10 games out of first place in its division? A, the Yankees, B, the Nationals, C, the Athletics, or D, the Royals? Nationals. Uh, Nationals. Okay. Question number five. Frank Robinson, who, by the way, won most valuable player in both the American and National League, became the first full-time African-American manager in Major League Baseball history when he was hired by the Cleveland Indians in 1975. Fifty years ago today, this future Hall of Famer technically became the first African-American manager in a Major League game as he filled in after his team's regular manager was ejected. When asked about it, he simply said, let's play two. Was it Frank Robinson, Buck O'Neill, Larry Doby, or Ernie Banks? Uh, Ernie Banks. Okay. Scotty is pacing, feverishly pacing. Uh, he, he got the breather at three, right? Yeah. But still, seven out of ten was a bit aggressive there, Scotty. Mage is correct. <laughs> LeBron was a nice call there by Allen. Yeah, that was. 51 is his top back in 2018. Uh, the Washington Nationals was correct. Ernie Banks was correct. Number three, the lone slip-up. Which of the following players does not have more than nine career playoff triple-doubles? It's nine actually not even close. Uh, he said Draymond Green. Draymond's got 10. LeBron, 28. Russell Westbrook, 12. James Harden, just with four. You blew it! Solid effort, though. Allen, safe travels, down 74. Well, F. Did you know many kids, Kevin, from high school, you said you didn't, that went to UC? No, none. But you probably um, knew some Xavier Xavier, kids, right? oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dayton? One of, yeah, one of my best friends went to Xavier. Yep, Dayton as well. Because Dayton um, is a, is it Jesuit or Catholic? I think Jesuit. Um, but yeah, I mean that's you talk about easy drives or you know easy-ish yeah. drives. How about Miami of Ohio? Um, Did you have friends that went there? Not as much. My uh, my sister-in-law actually went there. She's from Jasper though. Um, but yeah, I would say 
out of those four schools you named, out of the Ohio schools in general, I guess, uh, not you know getting into the MAC conference, if you will, but yeah, Cincinnati, no one. No one. I, I I think we had a football player, maybe a year older than I, that, that that went there. That was about it. The two schools that, that it seems to me I hear more people my age have kids that go to school there. Uh, Cincinnati is one that is really you know increased and then Bellarmine I know a lot of people send their kids to Bellarmine Mm -hmm. now they're now D1 in basketball right correct and they're better than Louisville also correct yes and then what's the other one that's in Bellarmine's in Louisville right Uh huh. and then there's one in Nashville what's the school in Nashville that that kids go to Belmont yeah Lipscomb is in uh, Nashville as well if I'm not mistaken but yeah Belmont's really good they've been very good at basketball yeah I know people who go there as well. We went to Olive Garden last night. I love Olive Garden. Do you? I haven't been there forever. Oh, it was outstanding. What about that Fazoli's? You like that Fazoli's? Oh, Olive Garden over over mm-hmm. Fazoli's. Seven days out of the week. What about Keep Capri? the breadsticks coming? Salad, the breadsticks. You like Capri? Uh, it's just a little too pricey. How about Buca de Beppo? What about that Buca de Beppo? Boy, you better be. You better have a day of four twenty if you're going to Buca de Beppo to house all that food. Okay, the Luca Luca Pizza. Uh, not n- n- not very high for me. Okay. Any other Italian restaurants I've missed out well, on? Well, Mama Carolla's is terrific. Okay. How about um, great ambiance in there? How about uh, the one Iria's? Yeah, outstanding. And then what's the one that closed? Scotty, help me out. Milano Inn. Is it Milano that's still open? Milano closed, right? Iria's is still open. Milano closed. And then there's the little Italian place downtown with the outdoor fountain where Mick Jagger ate. What's the name of that joint? Somebody help me out. Starts with the T. What's the one off of uh, right next to the Greek Place, uh, south of Lucas Oil? That, that's it. That's it. Is that what I'm thinking of? By Greek Isles. Uh huh. Yeah, that's it. Because Iria's is over just uh, right at sixty five seventy. Split. You you got. Um, Gosh, what gonna, is it? This is gonna drive me nuts. Hold on. Italian. I'm googling Italian restaurant. Mick Jack. People are probably screaming in their car right now. It's like a real small place, and it's got an out, a fountain in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, oh darn it! Here it is. He went to one in Denver. I'm not looking for in Denver. I'm looking for Indianapolis. Mark, you've got to take take the girls to Olive Garden. The unlimited oh, breadsticks. Well, we've, we've done Olive Garden plenty of times. Yeah. Uh huh. So good. You they know just that. house the bread, and then they leave Literally. the pasta for me and Ashley. Uh, Max was eating a breadstick last night. Don't they have the unlimited breadsticks at the Fazoli's? Yeah, but this, I don't know, this one feels a little okay. bit more intimate at Olive Garden. I am I'm, I'm I know I'm mispronouncing this, so please forgive me. Iozos? Iozos, yep. I, Iozos? Nice. That's Iozos Garden of Italy. That's mm-hmm. where Mick Jagger ate when they were here. And I hear that that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Maddie and I have been there before. Now back, solid spot. Great Italian. I cannot, I mean, it was Olive Garden, great feel. Slid in the bar at one point to watch the watch the uh, end of regulation, 76 for Celtics. The Andy's mints at the end of the night. Oh, always, that was a nice touch. It's always nice. I I, I had kind of... What? The Andy's mints? Yeah. They still have those around? Our waiter gave us probably six I don't know where else you buy them. them, but yeah. Yeah, we had six. It was great. They yeah, had one of those on. little... Um, you you do your check on like a tablet. They like uh-huh. have a tablet on the table, mm-hmm. but also there's a great matching game on there. So mm-hmm. that entertained Rosie. Terrific. You load up on breadsticks and Andy's mints. You've had a good night. Uh, shout out to the worker at the Castleton um, Bath and Body Works. Maddie left her cell phone in there. Didn't realize it until we got to. Well, you got to get that before they close, right? The Olive Garden. Um, the mall had closed. Oh, I'm sorry. Bed Bath and Beyond's the one that's closing. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is Bath and Body Works. Um, Bath and Body Works, I love it. They're the last holdout at Circle Center. They're like, yeah. we are not leaving. Nope. So, yeah, ironically, I think I'd bought Maddie something for Christmas at the one at Circle Center. We go to Castleton, boom, mall security closes six. Maddie sees him in the parking lot. I've left my cell phone. It's in there. I'm doing the find my phone on my phone to see it. Um, security lets her in there. The lady working at Bath and Body Works was just getting ready to close up for the night. So let Maddie in to get herself in. You know, I, Just put I, all the foam soaps away. Now this lady's coming in. Bath and Body Works, though, there is something magical about walking in there and just smelling magical. like the, the strawberry scent that... Yeah, I, I thought that was my thought process in purchasing the Christmas gift. It was not reciprocated by Maddie, though, on really? that end. You know, yeah. they have a little men's section over there. It gets smaller every time I go in. It does not shock me that you're a frequent this, visitor there for me, yourself. Let me tell you something right now. Here's a little Jake Quarry confession. I am... An absolute metrosexual when it comes to shower gels, skin lotions, hair product. It's it's an issue. It's a problem. I have. I was caught off guard when you kind of went after Marcus Erickson a little bit there on his yeah. flip flop comment. I'm like, glad I could it see, wasn't him. I could see Jake totally doing I, that. I think it kind of was him though. Um, I have probably calling him a liar. <laughs> I have probably sixty colognes. I have. When are you going to use one of those to, when you come in here? Oh, I'm wearing today? You, oh. Do you not smell my basil lime Joe Malone? I thought it was Salvatore Dali or something like uh, that. It still smells like mayo in here. <laughs> <laughs> I have... The Hellman's Limited series. Jack Black's and Keel's, like... Jack Black. Face, yeah, different different Jack Black. Oh. All kinds of lotions and, and no ointments way. from them. Body washes, I've, I've got it all. My shower literally looks like the storeroom at the Westin. And might I add, if you stay at my place, you have your choice of towels from different hotels. Wow. Oh, wow. That's that's covered in the room. No wonder Boo's been welcomed so well. Harley <laughs> mentions uh, Vicino. Am I saying that right? A new Italian place on Mass Ave? Looks outstanding. He just sent us some pictures. Now I'm hungry again. Did we not mention Maggiano's? Uh, great place. Ambrosia. Ambrosia's a good place. Yeah. We're talking Italian food. We'll round it out one final time here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5. The Little Shannon Hoon. Did you ever see the documentary, All I Can Say? No, but I am kind of looking for a um, documentary right now. Shannon Hoon was the lead singer of Blind Melon, obviously, and was born and raised essentially in Mulberry, Indiana. His parents were divorced, I believe. His dad lived in Mulberry, his mother in um dayton which is just outside of lafayette i think he went to lafayette mccutcheon high school but his older sister was a classmate of axel rose's they're the mavericks that's correct clayton richard the pride of mccutcheon and when shannon hoon was getting into the music scene and went out to la because his sister knew axel rose he had access to axel rose and axel rose started using him as a background singer he kind of got discovered, and the band Blind Melon was formed, and Shannon Hoon took off, essentially. And, of course, that music video for No Rain was most known for the little girl in the Bumblebee outfit. And that music video and that song catapulted them from literally, Kevin, total obscurity into international fame in the span of like a month. And so... They went from this, you know, all of a sudden they're this big band. They had one album out, and this always happens. Everybody buys the first album because they love the big hit song. Then they had 
a second album, I think it was called Soup, I could be wrong in that, that was critically acclaimed, but fans didn't like it as much. But in the interim, they played Lollapalooza 94. Was it Lollapalooza 94? It might have actually been Woodstock 94. I think it might have been Woodstock 94. But either way, it was carried on MTV, and Shannon Hoon came out and was dressed in just like a bed sheet and, and, was, and did an interview on MTV where he was clearly on something and was just kind of out of his mind. And he was starting to teeter a little bit. And at any rate, during this time, because literally you're talking about a, I mean, like a 36-month window of time where they went from nothing to everything. And during that time, it was when the camcorder became more and more mainstream of the handheld camcorder as opposed to the VHS size one, the one that just had the little tape in it and you could put it in your hand. And Shannon Hoon, Kevin, videotaped everything. Literally his entire life, every day he got up, he just videotaped. And it, and so you see his life in videotape between when he was a nothing, sitting out on the front porch of his dad's house in Mulberry, Indiana, you know, replying to ads, trying to get gigs, to when he is the biggest music star for like a two-month period. And you can kind of see his life unraveling while he's aware of it, but unsure of how to handle it and how to get a grip on it. And the documentary is nothing but his home videos for like two and a half hours. It's pretty fascinating. Amy Winehouse has one very similar that's just called Amy. Yeah, that is her Maddie's life and video that. tape. I think we're going to do um, episode two of Hundred Days to Indy tonight. We haven't we haven't watched that yet. Are you caught up on Ted Lasso? Yes, we are caught up there. We're caught Mark, up on Ted Lasso. We are what? No, we haven't watched this last one yet. Okay, it's a good one. Glenn wanted you to clarify. Did Jake just say he was wearing basil provolone cologne? Uh, basil lime. 60 colognes seems a bit hat aggressive. Joe Malone is the, the cologne maker. J- J-O, Joe Malone. Am I in the minority? I can't tell you last time I've put on cologne. No, really? I, I'm right there with you. Uh, Bond number nine, Chez Bond, is one of my favorites. Dolce Gabbana, I go with a lot. Mont Blanc is good. Um, Burberry, not bad. So we come to your apartment is it just like whoa like you walk in well i don't like, like spray it i, I mean, know but if there's 60 of them in there they're all on top of a dresser they're kind of it, it looks kind of like the shanghai skyline but i mean they're there right <laughs> um so 60 colognes but you would say the kitchen's a little bit sparse in terms of potential food so don't come over for food but come over if you want a spray of cologne. sure you need oh, a dab absolutely. of cologne and well, here's a guy depends here's on what a you want more pop tart on your way out uh, Bond number nine, Queens, New York, not bad. Um, East Saint Laurent, I've got two of theirs that are okay. You sound like Ron Artest's songs on his album True Warrior. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I don't know what it is. Every time that I go to Toronto when I come back, I, I got to stop at the duty free store and buy a new cologne. Lacoste makes a really good one. I liked it. I wear it fairly often. I've got one that I got in Paris. We just went into some perfume shop and i'm and they made like a scent for me and, and now i never want to wear it because i'll never get it again right i did catch a whiff you and i actually walked in together today i did i did catch a whiff what, and your thought what were you rocking today uh that's the baseline lime joe malone thank you yeah uh and and now that, that one does not stand over the course of the day it wears off pretty quick so mm-hmm. you probably got, almost got knocked out so oh, i apologize this little cookie an hour before we're doing the no pants dance <laughs> um, Time to musk up. 
Shez Bond number nine is the one that stays the best throughout the course of the day. Good. Jotting these down in my notes whenever I get back into my Cologne stage. I think last time I was there, I was 15. Wow. <laughs> Never ceases to amaze me. That's a song when you what walk Cologne in. What are you going to go with? Oh, London yeah. gentleman? Or? Mm-hmm. Wait. You walk into apartment no, D. No, no, no. Hold on. Blackbeard's delight. Uh, do we get 2-2 in any of these series tonight? We've got 2-2 in Boston, Philly, Phoenix, Denver. Uh, the Knicks going to win on the road tonight, or are the Warriors going to win on the road? Miami wins, goes up 3-1. Warriors win, and then come back to win that series. Uh, Heat favored by 4.5 tonight. Lakers favored by 2.5. Both those games were just absolute blowouts on... Uh, on Saturday, we actually stopped. You said you're at the Bulldog for the Derby on Saturday. Yep, we stopped at the Bulldog um, uh, after uh, it wasn't really like a full-on wedding reception, uh, but we stopped there late Saturday night. And boy, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, the Lakers scores that? Uh, yeah, no doubt. I had Maddie try and name four players on the floor. Okay, Lakers and Warriors. How many do you think she could name? She would know Steph Curry, LeBron. I'm going to give her credit. Say Anthony Davis and. Draymond Green. So she named those first three very quickly, and I'm like, oh, wow, are you really going to get this? And then I gave her 10 seconds because, you know, I just felt like if she saw jerseys, all of a sudden I might give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw the Clay Thompson jersey, and she butted out, blurted out, I should say, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson. Okay, close. Yeah, not bad. Maybe the visor. Close. Uh, you know. Huh? You said close? I would say Clay, Clay Thompson and Ladanian Tomlinson, slightly different skin tone. Both play on the West Coast. <laughs> and different names, too. Yeah, you know Maddie. She, you know, those North Turner Charger teams she was all all about, right? I'm just saying. You know, I thought it was a decent effort, but the fourth one was kind of a bit of a dub. But again, an absolute blow by the Lakers in the Heat. I love Ladanian I, I will say. I love Tomlinson. She's going to get mad at me for picking on her here. I, I love Shannon with all my heart. But we'll be watching a Pacer. We'll be watching an NBA game, and I'll say, you know, that guy played for the Pacers. He did, yeah. For how long? Six seasons. I don't remember him at all. Well, you have season tickets, and you've been to every home game for twenty-four years, but you don't remember that guy playing on the. Okay. Plenty of gabbing time. Yeah. Thank you to Marcus oh, Erickson. Thank you to Doug Bowles. They joined us earlier. Uh, Elio Castroneves on the show tomorrow. My magic things, are we having Danny Werfel on at Danny, some point? Danny Werfel tomorrow at 830. Talk to Anthony Richardson as well. Everybody have a great Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 7 a.m. right here on The Fan.